And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. might be running for her life from some gigantic turned-on ape. Are you goddamn shamanist pig ape? Hello, and welcome to the beginning of King Kong Month here at Two True Freaks. And I'm Chris Honeywell, and I just have to say, I love, love. <laughs> I love monkey movies. Oh, I love monkey movies. I have all over them. I'm holding on to them with my hands and my feet, because my feet are hands like a monkey. And it's going to be a whole month of, of King Kong monkey madness on Two True Freaks, and we're starting it off, and we're starting it off with a bang, because not only do I have my regular co-host and best buddy, Scott Gardner. Hey! How's it going? Excellent. But we also have my co-host from the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror, Luke Giaconetti. Hey, everybody. And the hair metal hero. Hey, guys. And probably, I don't know, I've, I haven't met you, Luke, but you, you do have an Italian last name. But yes. I think between the three of us, if you shaved all our backs, you could probably make a good-sized monkey out of it. <laughs> I'm pretty hairy. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm, I did win a hairy back contest on a cruise ship once. I have a picture of Scott that displays some back hair, but I haven't been able to Photoshop it into a proper Two True Freaks picture yet. I tried to do it onto the Naked Hulk. <laughs> but it didn't take <laughs> the graft did did not take <laughs> but uh someday someday something something for all you listeners to uh to look forward to oh yeah but this time we're starting since this is the first first week we're going to start right at the very beginning the the granddaddy of in the evolutionary chain of monkey movies, King Kong 1933. The old oh, yeah. school Cooper. And uh, yeah. I've seen this movie about 80,000 billion times because it was one of those things where as a kid, I read about it in, in monster books 
and then finally PBS started showing that matinee at the Bijou show, and they would play King Kong all the time. So I just got to see it over and over and over again. I just watched it again today, and I am all monkeyed up. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. <clears throat> oh, definitely. I, I watched this uh, part of it last night, part of it uh, today, and it had been uh, a few years since I had seen King Kong. But the thing about, you have to understand with me and King Kong, is that my my father's favorite film is King Kong. Oh. And not the first movie I ever remember watching, but certainly one of the first movies I remember watching is King Kong. And I'm pretty sure the first movie character I ever quoted was Carl Denham. And what was that quote? Well, why do you think I brought along that case of gas bombs? <laughs> Can I ask what context it was used in? <laughs> oh, nothing. Just just because it would it would make my dad laugh, you know. Oh, it had um, nothing to do with Mexican food or anything like no, that. No, no, not even. You, you know, you guys you guys have have talked about on on other episodes about you used to bring the tape recorder into the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Well, my father had a taped copy audio tape copy of King Kong that he listened to over and over and over as a kid to the point that to this day he can recite the film. If watching King Kong with my dad is an exercise in saying, Dad, stop talking. Oh, so it's like <laughs> watching Star Wars with me, basically. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> By the time, as a matter of fact, as soon as I get out, they shut down the main reactor. We'll be destroyed for sure. This is madness. <laughs> Somebody's starting to punch me and go, this better not be the whole movie, you asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I always find myself watching the original Star Wars alone. I know. Yeah. We, uh, of all the movies, the, uh, of all the things nerds have to watch alone, it's Star Wars and porn. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I'm I'm a uh, diehard uh, King Kong fan, and, and watching this again was awesome. So. Oh, John McClane and King Kong together in a movie would be awesome, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, a do- a- the monkey, pal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fifty million gorillas in the world. I gotta kill them with feet smaller than my sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Fuck's driving that ship, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, the first thing I notice about this movie that you don't get anymore is an um is an overture. Overture. And that, that overture was not there for a long time. That was only restored relatively recently, considering this film is made in uh, 1933. This film was made, uh, cheese and rice, uh, what, 79 years ago. Oh, jeez. Now you want to feel too freaking old. But uh, the overture was one of the, actually one of the first things cut when this film was re-released. And it was re-released numerous times through the 40s and 50s. Uh, just kept making money, so they kept re-releasing it. I was very pleased that my DVD had the overture. It's, uh, you know, always, uh, we talked about this on the Black Hole episode. Yep. It's, you never expect it, but it's always a little treat when you get it, you know? Yep. I mean, I'm thinking of all the other movies we've covered. I think only the Black Hole and what Superman the movie are the only ones that Star I've... Trek. Motion picture. Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah. 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 And those were decades ago, so they just don't happen anymore. Yeah. No, you gotta get that extra showing of the movie in. Yeah. It's also interesting about the uh, the openings after the overture and then the credits. We get the uh, old Arabian proverb. Yeah, totally fake. <laughs> Marion C. Cooper wrote that himself. So unless Marion C. Cooper was magically an old Arab, which I know he wasn't, that's a completely fake proverb. But it still works. So, well, it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, it's ar- artistic license. 
<laughs> Very artistic. Well, the mm. the first thing I always notice about this movie is is at the very beginning of it it's not very good like the actors are kind of awkward there's some there's a there's a few like just really bad acting moments and it's got that 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 dialogue where people say see a lot and say say it wouldn't happen to have a match on you there would you pally you know but <laughs> it, it you know it's that that sort of and it, and it just seems like a very normal you know um movie of its time you know on on a soundstage movie and stuff but then as it goes along it starts it's 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 funny it almost starts to become more realistic the more fantastical it gets it it starts to become more and more convincing because at the beginning when you when you had um you know Anne and Driscoll first meeting I'm like there's absolutely no chemistry between these <laughs> actors at all absolutely nothing you know it's just like it's people reading their lines you know and and it's a good thing that they had to have the whole like chase through the forest thing cuz that made it convincing because if it, if if this was just going to be a romance to and and just the funny attitude of like guys in the 30s who are just like Hell no, I ain't gonna be, you know, no dame's gonna come and, uh, and get me all hot and bothered. It's just like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> she works for me. You got, you, got, you, got, you, got a problem, you got a problem with that, dude? <laughs> well, you know, but it, like you say, it's, it's also, it's a, it's a product of the time, you know? And, and uh, Cooper was, see, Cooper was, he was something of a pariah because um, the character of Carl Denham is based on Miriam C. Cooper. You know, he, he was this, this uh, adventurer, this movie maker who traveled all over the world and just shot nature. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, he com- you know, he's complaining to the, um, to the press aide, to the, uh, the, the casting agent, as to why he has to bring a woman along. He goes, because the public, bless him, must have a pretty face. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, Cooper was the same way. You know, he, he didn't want, he just wanted to make his, his big... Uh, spectacular nature films and and do that, but his films didn't make any fucking money, <laughs> so he kind of had to had to start making um, you know pictures with a story in them, and that's what 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 in in a way led to this because he was like, well, how can I make a story that is an adventure but is still something I can sell, and you know that that was and it was a lot of it was filming apes and such for a nature film that got him into the idea of how to make this this type of story work. If you ever get a chance to, there's a, a TCM shows a documentary about uh, Miriam C. Cooper. I am blanking on the name right now, but I've seen it at least two or three times on TCM. It is fascinating. This guy's life, just not even involving making King Kong, but his life in general and what he did uh, to make his movies and traveling around the world. He helped develop Cinerama, for instance, because he was a pilot. And and so a lot of the early Cinerama films where he shot them himself from his plane kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, you know, that's not really important for the film, but it's, it's good to, you know, it's, it's something to think about for why decisions were made also. What I like about Carl Denham in this is he's an unrepentant prick, basically, <laughs> you know, but he, he's not redeemed at any, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's actually, yeah. he's actually earnest and like a, uh, he's a square shooter for the most part. 
but his ethics are seriously flawed and he doesn't even, you know, I mean, it's funny. I always expect at the end when, when he goes, I'm Carl Denham. It's just like, I'm like, I wouldn't be announcing that if I were you right now. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the cop's just like, oh, Carl Denham, what do you think of all this? You know, and it's like, no, the cop should be like, Carl Denham, you're under arrest for destruction of New York City for irresponsible <laughs> showmanship, you know. But he does, yes. he he doesn't that doesn't even cross his head that that this is all his fault. It's it's all yeah. he's spinning it into the next big story by going beauty killed the beast, and you can hear everybody going, oh yeah, beauty yeah. killed the beast. That sounds great. So <laughs> I love Carl. I mean, I love Carl Denham. He's one of my favorite movie characters of all time yeah. for that very reason. He's because, not. He, I mean, he serves the the function of the antagonist, but he's not a bad guy. Right, right. But he's not. But he doesn't have to have a character arc where at the end he sees the yeah. the air. Is this is this movie pre Hayes Code? I believe so. Uh, no, I think mm-hmm. the Hayes Code was the year before. Then, I'm pretty sure Hayes Code. Well, Hayes Code came into effect in '32, because the Hayes Code is part of the reason why supposedly some of the things was cut. But oh, let me know you're right. That. Yeah. What the hell is a Hayes Code? I'm sorry. <laughs> It's, it's, it's no, the co- uh, no comics clad women. It's no, the comics uh, code of the movies. Oh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm yeah. wrong. The code was 34, I think. Because I'm telling you, man, there's there's boob, there's a boob in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just and 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 watching this movie, even the way when King Kong fights, and just the violence between King Kong and the other monsters is, you could tell his nature photography. Really, he he really like captured the visceral primal battle of animals. You know, they don't mess around; they break each other's jaws till they're dead. You know, That's kind of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, with with a sickening crack, and that must have been just like in you know this the first scene where where he has her in the dress and he's doing the camera work on her. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, I see nipples. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you used to not be able to on on like VHS or whatnot, but the clarity afforded by DVD and now Blu-ray, uh, yeah, you can very clearly see through her her outfit. Yeah, you can. And, and I'm watching this going, man. When you were seeing this in the movie theater, it must have been like Cover Junior's eyes, you know, when she came out in that dress, you know. And and by the time she's like falling into the into the river and stuff, it's yeah. just like it's. And I'm I'm watching this movie going, man. This thing is is very every I always think this every time I see it I'm like this is this is violent and and I always forget that like when King Kong steps on people he doesn't just step on people he steps on them and then he <laughs> grinds them, them into the <laughs> ground it's so awesome yeah <laughs> that's what I want to see my monkeys do stub people out like cigarettes <laughs> and that's what he does and and he doesn't he you know, and another thing I want to address is in those times, man, I always forget how racist <laughs> this yes. stuff was in those times. Oh, yeah. Eggs for breakfast. Somebody <laughs> said egg, eggs for but that guy was just like that Cookie, guy was. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was just cut right out of that. That I, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then when you see the native, what, the, what was that other line that someone said? Oh, we're gonna see something that no white crazy man... black crazy black man been here. That was my that was the line I I focused on was, in this movie. So, so... Is when Cookie finds the the necklace on yeah. the ship, that's how he reports it to the to the captain. Crazy black man been here. <laughs> I was like, really, dude? Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
something yeah, denim, yeah, something no said, white man has ever seen. seen yeah. But you know, like, again, that that was uh, that was the time, though. You know. Times, yeah. Well, yeah. well, I was I mean, gonna say when you see the natives, I'm like, where did they get all those store bought afros, man? <laughs> all the way out here on Skull Island, you know. The only <laughs> thing, I, the only thing I could think when I see that is that you know, again, uh, and, and we saw this in the Jackson remake. We're certainly not gonna have 50 uh, black guys from Central Casting wearing various parts of an ape suit. Well, I'm, in a in a I'm, Hollywood movie nowadays, I'm saying it's not gonna fly. I'm I'm looking at that crowd of natives and I'm like going, I know a bunch of those people like studied like to do Shakespeare and stuff, and now they're like basically saying you know I'm jumping up and down and yelling Ngawa, you know, and I was just like they must have been just like okay, it's a paycheck. Well, you know, I mean that that's true. It, I mean when you were at Central Casting, what you did, you know. And, you, and, and, that, or you were, or you were playing, you know, uh, one of the field slaves and gone with the wind kind of thing, you know. I don't. Right. And, <laughs> and I swear to God, at one point I heard one of the natives yell Costco. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. He did yell yes, Costco, did. I, didn't he? I, I caught that too. Yes, I and, was waiting for him to say "I love you," but he never did. <laughs> and 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 what is the first thing that the chief says? Look at that blonde woman. Yeah, which is basically right out of that's uh, the first thing I thought of was like Blazing Saddles was like, "Hey, where are the white women at?" <laughs> <laughs> another, another that leads to another great denim quote. Like, yeah, blondes are scarce around here. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, this is good old fashioned family racism, right there. <laughs> No, but it, the thing is that it's not, you know, it's not meant to be racist. They're, they're a tribe of, of primitives that happen to be black. It's not, you know, it's not like we're back in New York afterwards. Oh, look at that big monkey there. You know, not, you know, not that kind of thing. So, no, it, it's. No, it wasn't step and fetch it, but it was, yeah. you know, but I, I mean, that was how natives were. I mean, that was how natives were in Tarzan movies, too. You know, it was. And and, and what what's funny is, is when when they're speaking the native language it totally sounds like an american <laughs> yeah you know go ungnambawa kan kulalala <laughs> what do you say it, it, it's still it just i i i'm always floored by the special you know how the special effects actually stand up yeah to to the point of where there's some little touches in it that are beyond even stuff that I'll see today. Like uh, one of the one of the, my favorite little touches is when when you first see the T Rex, he just sort of stops and absentmindedly scratches his eye, and like scratches his eye and like rubs his nose and then goes on about his business. And I'm like, those little details and stuff like that, that must have been like seeing a Spielberg movie of their time, you know, where oh, yeah. it had all those little touches. And, there, and I mean, just when now that I've been like now that I've been to film school and read all the books on special effects and stuff, and I'd read books on how they'd done the special effects in, in King Kong, too. But then um, there's a scene with the Stegosaurus after they yes. shoot the Stegosaurus and they're walking towards it. And I realized that, and it was reminding me of Jurassic Park, but I'm realizing that Stegosaurus is still the clay model, and they zo- and they zo- did the camera move, stop motion, yeah. in on the model, and then timed the people walking mm-hmm. in fr- you know in front of either a mat or a screen, 
uh, you know, a rear projection screen, and damned if it doesn't look like they're walking right oh, yeah. up on that thing. It lo- yeah. You can see the perspective of it coming up, and it's a little wonky when they're walking alongside it and stuff, but I'm thinking, man, in the movie theater, that must have been intense. That must yeah. have been just like, you know... And- Star Wars, <laughs> right? And and you know, uh, uh, Chris, you mentioned the little character bit with the with the T Rex. Well, Willis O'Brien was really well known for that. All of his uh, creations would would typically have, even to Harryhausen would do this too. But O'Brien was kind of known for it, the little humanized touches like that. Um, my my absolute favorite bit of of character animation like that is with the Stegosaurus after Denim and Driscoll walk up to it, and we get the rear projection shot of them looking at its face and denim says watch out it's not dead put it put around in it and driscoll shoots it in the eye and then you've got that convulsion the death convulsion from the stegosaurus where its whole body is shaking and and quivering i mean it's like and to think about that done at in stop motion at 24 frames a second is incredible yeah it just it just looks it looks lifelike i've 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 always liked that i i did a three minute stop frame frame by frame animation and i take my hat off to anybody who does it because uh, it was hard and it was uh, took me a long time to do this simple little you know you know kindergarten thing with it and then when i see stuff like that where you i I think it takes a special kind of mind that just sees it and can can translate it into the into the pieces you know because there's and there's a there's a fluidity in in the animation in this that yeah you ju- you just wouldn't expect for you know the the, the biggest the, the biggest limitation with any of the characters was with Kong himself cuz he had fur on him instead of scales and stuff so it, yeah. you know so they had to give him that sort of greasy matted look to uh but it works you know and mm-hmm. there there's just such such a fluidity that I it, it once, once you get to Kong Island on this movie, it's I'm just riveted, yeah, by it the the whole time. And uh, the the Stegosaurus scene also gives us yet again a absolutely awesome Carl Denham line. Jack uh, Driscoll says, "What do you call that thing?" <laughs> John, that's a, something from the dinosaur family. Yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> that's like, in my oh, note yeah. too. I'm like, I don't think the dinosaurs are a family. And then I'm thinking the dinosaur family, like from that TV show, you know, oh, in the God. 80s. <laughs> well, but it's like, you know, it's, it, you know, in 1933, we're all relatively sure yeah. that there aren't dragons and monsters. But he just shakes off that he just killed a stegosaurus. Like, ah, no big deal. <laughs> yes, Jack, a prehistoric beast. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, but yeah, I, I, one of my notes here is like the, the realism of the death throes of everything that died. And when when grown men got killed in this, they scream like little girls. Yes, they do. I, I love that. They and scream like Fay Ray. Just just like you would if you were getting gutted by a dinosaur. And and I also have a note here that says "Attack of the Herbivores" because yeah. <laughs> they get, they sh- they sure have some savage herbivores. Because I'm looking because I forgot that I always think of it as a serpent in the in the river okay. that attacks him but it's a st- it's oh. a brontosaurus and i'm like we're brontosaurus is kind of dos they're like big giant cows or something you know and this thing's like no i'm gonna sh-. it's you know the 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 sheer body count of rag dolls in this movie is staggering <laughs> and yeah, but i don't know if say. you can, that's 
necessarily count this a no prize or not, but I, I was thinking about that today when I was watching this, you know, the scene with the, with the, at that time it would have been a brontosaurus, I guess. Yeah. Actually like chases the guy down to devour him, which is awesome. <laughs> I guess, I mean, is it, is it at all theoretical that, you know, in the, extra millions of years that that on this island anyway you know the dinosaurs They've gotten didn't a little more aggressive out. yeah well yeah that it that it had to evolve into you know a, a meat eater or something that well, would would willingly eat to, meat for, or, for you know for survival or to something it, to its know? benefit it wasn't really eating the meat as much as it was just killing it <laughs> they were just chew like, them up. up and spit them out that that was the thing on on skull island king kong yeah. loves to just Take things, put them in his mouth, give him a couple crunches, and then drop them yeah. on the ground. He's, he's he's a lot like my one-year-old in that respect, you know. Just grab something, put it in the mouth. Eh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, uh but I, no, that, no, Scott makes a Scott makes a good point because uh, and th this comes up in some of the later Kong films as well, is that especially in uh, the 1976 Kong, Dino De Laurentiis was adamant that he didn't want Kong to look exactly like an ape. Because he wanted Kong to be a monster that had evolved from apes, mm -hmm. right. and and so I, I think that's a reasonable enough expl uh, explanation that, yeah, it may look exactly like a, a brontosaurus or a patasaurus, but you know maybe this thing is a carnivore. Clearly, Skull Island is a horrible place to live, since and apparently traveling about a mile and a half, Kong fights for his life like three times every ten you know, seconds. <laughs> It's 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 a normal day in the woods for for Kong. So clearly, if you want to compete, <laughs> I, if if I was filming this movie, the only scene I would add is by the third time something attacks Fay Ray and she starts screaming, I would just be like rolling. I'd have King Kong like taking a shit and rolling his eyes, going, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> Every time <laughs> I'm shitting out some natives. Can't the, the pterodactyl wait? <laughs> Actually, uh, you know, Chris, I, I did have to laugh. Thank you. Do you remember we did the media masochist on Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster oh, yeah. Birds? Oh, and you I, said that, I'm not wiping that out of my memory yeah. anytime soon. Well, you said that the, the plesiosaur, one of the most tame, gentle dinosaurs ever. Well, here it is. There's the precedent in King Kong. He, he, you know, he, plesiosaur thinks he's going to eat Andaro, then, you know, ends up fighting King Kong. So, <laughs> And then who shows up next but pterodactyl? So. Oh, one other thing I wanted to note before we get too far into the story. Did you notice when um when when Driscoll goes in for the kiss, he he totally goes in for the Kirk. He does the Kirk. <laughs> it's just like you're standing there one minute, the next minute you just like descend on them with your jaw and your arms and like grab them and just mash your face and I'm like, "Man, that's where Shatner got it. He got it from <laughs> the old school movies when you just like Oh, you you approve of me kissing you? Good. Get ready for it, baby, because you're getting it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was reading something about all the scenes that have been, you know, edited out of the movie over the years as as decency standards both went, you know, went up and went down, and just different things that they had to cut out of the movie. Man, that's a scene right there that could have easily been just <laughs> left on the floor. That that scene where they kind of, you know, quote unquote, come together on the ship is just it's the one moment of the movie. I'm just like, awkward. Oh it's just like, you know, for one thing, you know, as much as I would love to be able to time travel or live in different eras or one, I, I think I'd be, you know, entertained with the 30s for about five minutes before everybody talking like Edgar G. Robinson drove me <laughs> insane. But that scene where he's like, 
man, I think I love you, Anne. And I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm scared yeah, for I, you. I'm also yeah. scared of you. Bullshit, you're not scared of her. You know, not not the, not by the way you glom onto her two seconds later. But yeah, I, oh, that scene is just like, you know, I only ever liked men, you know, being a sailor <laughs> until you, know, you came along, and it's like, oh, oh I only, my fa- God. only found myself in the company of men on the long, cold sea voyages. Oh man, on on a a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, they did a a version of King Kong called King Homer. Yes, and, and uh, Jack Driscoll is played by Mr. Smithers, and and uh, Carl Denham is played by Mr. Burns. And at one point, <laughs> uh, Smithers says to Burns, "I think women and semen don't mix." We knew what you think. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Mr. Burns gets gassed. Gets uh, yeah. Gets I was walking through the gas one day. <laughs> about getting gassed and and chris you had mentioned the death throws when kong gets gassed that's some other really great character animation right there when yes. he's up and around flailing around on the beach that was some, i i had forgotten about that a little bit that's a really great scene i well, love that well the the thing about like stop motion a- animation is all right you got some things that that are sort of smooth to animate but every once in a while an animal or a person will move very quickly and making that quick motion look fluid and natural is almost impossible. And they get it totally right where he's flailing around on the beach and where there's one scene where I can't remember. I think it's where he's fighting the, um, the, um, T-Rex and he's, he's sort of beneath it and grabbing his jaws, but in like one quick fluid movement, he sort of jumps over it and grabs onto his back you know, and yeah. sort of spins himself around, but it's, you know, that, that, that move must've been done in like two frames and you could move him from here to there, but the way the two frames that they put him in between just made it look like an animal that was, and usually stop motion animals lumber, you know, when they, right. when they do something, they're always going to lumber and they're always going to look kind of heavy and saggy and tied to the, you know, attached to the ground. Cause they usually are like, pinned right to the ground you know one foot of them will be and the king kong does not look you know the animal the creatures in this movie do not look like that they they're they're moving living breathing and react to each other like real animals and but it's it's interesting that you say living and breathing because um peter jackson as as you guys all probably know is a huge huge mark for the original king kong and he owns the original uh, Kong armature that you uh-huh. know that that also Brian used. Well, he also owned a couple other of the uh, models, including the unseen uh, Styracosaurus. When um, when the crew is running after the Brontosaurus scene, when they're running to the log, everyone always asks, "Well, why don't they just run back the way they came?" Well, but the scene that ended up being cut before release was they're being chased by a Styracosaurus. And so they can't run back because there's another flesh-eating herbivore behind them. <laughs> and um, well, they well he got a hold of this model and he wanted to get an idea of how it would move, but it was so fragile after 75 years of disuse or whatever that to move it it was going to fall apart. And so what he ended up doing was him and his crew at Weta they took it to a hospital in New Zealand and had it X-rayed so they could get an idea of what the armature looked like. You know, and what they found inside was that um, besides the armature, O'Brien had put 
bellows inside of his models. So he could put a little breath of air into the bellows with each shot and then take a little bit out. So they were breathing. Wow. It's, I mean, the attention to detail that Willis O'Brien uh, put into all of his work, even his lesser stuff, I say lesser in air quotes, you know, things that never made it to um, never made it to to release like creation or um, uh, Bro- Brothers Grimm and, or Brothers Grimm was released. But, you know, that one doesn't get remembered. His attention to detail was was amazing. And, you know, uh, we're of the certain age that that we, you know, we remember Harry Ray Harryhausen and we love Ray Harryhausen. And I'm a huge Harryhausen fan, but a lot of times people forget about O'Brien and the stuff that all the groundwork that he laid is what led to the guys right. that, you know, like Ray Harryhausen and Jim Danforth right, right. and Phil Tippett and all those other guys that came after that's him. That's probably where, that's where they all got the idea to do that, you yeah. know? I mean, Ray Harryhausen, if you read some of his books, he talks about being a kid and going and finding Willis O'Brien, you know, because he was such a fan and O'Brien teaching him a lot of, a lot of the stuff that, that Harryhausen would later do. What's funny about that, though, is that I, I look at the later stuff, especially like the the Harryhausen stuff, and sure, the models got more sophisticated and the, the animation became more fluid, but somehow I always felt like the character de-evolved with, with the later stuff because that's one of the things that really stands out to me and I think really helps this movie hold up after all these years is the character bits you know the little things that the you know not only kong but all of the the creatures do um just little things that really make them feel alive and i don't think you get that from a lot of the later stop motion creatures and monsters where they they truly feel like a a, like a living thing they just they look like a moving thing you know and i think that's why stop motion doesn't hold up so well in a lot of movies that are you know years after this one sometimes decades later what i think king kong got right and that a lot of the other ones got wrong is king kong set it in a fantastical environment it's set in on in a jungle on you know skull island it's foggy with all these outcroppings and and dense you know it's a prehistoric jungle and usually when you got those creature, you know, like Harry Howes, when you got them in the, you know, the ones that came after, it was usually a monster rampaging. It was the monster rampaging in the city part, right. you know, that, yeah, that right. and they were always sort of out of their, their element. And this one, you, you could, you can set, you can set up this world and have it make more sense within its own world rather than when it's transposed in our world. But they do da- a damn good job once they do transpose it into our world. Well, and, and part of it part of it also was that um, I would say maybe after Jason and the Argonauts, okay, post-Argonauts for Harryhausen, a lot of the films became, okay, it's not about telling the story anymore. Now it's we're going to sell this on uh, on the dynamation, on what, which is what... Um, what the, the phrase was coined for stop motion animation in the 60s. And so you look at like Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger, some of those other other later ones, and it's like there there was so much model work. There was just absolutely so much of it. How could you ever get all of that done and still put some of those the you know the the more put the time and effort to do the character stuff in it. To me, uh, you know, really there's only two films that 
Harryhausen did, where that has a monster in the city um, proper, and that's Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and it came from beneath the sea. Now, it came from beneath the sea, I'll grant you, because that big octopus is just a big octopus. And it came from, and you know, and that's, it's nothing, it's not a not an uh, overly popular monster. It's, it's just kind of a monster, you well, know? Well, the Sinbad monsters work a lot better, I think, than those than those real-world monsters, because they're in a, fa- they're also in a fantastical universe, you know? That's what I'm, yeah, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying, you know? The, the Redis, I, I think the Redosaurus holds up really good, but, um, I, again, I, I may just be more prone. But you know things like Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. There's a, a lot of there's there's some character stuff with the Cyclops and uh, not so much like the dragon, but the rock, uh, very uh, very characterful. And then in um, in Jason and the Argonauts, um, you know it, it's it's hard because you know you've got the uh, you know Talos is a statue, you know, and but but Talos thinks like a human, so he's like he should be more. Does he have character traits, or is he just an animated statue? You know, you can you can go back and forth on on philosophical, weighty philosophical debate yeah, on that. You know, so. But I mean, I'll grant that. Like the alligator in Three Worlds of Gulliver never really did much for me. The monsters in Mysterious Island are just monsters. You know, so I, I think you've got I think you've got a point, uh, Scott. And and to 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 the further element of that, the one that's always pointed to as uh, O'Brien's masterstroke is not even King Kong; it's Mighty Joe Young. Yeah, and the the parts of Mighty Joe Young that are always um, uh, fawned over, and rightly so, is not you know any of Joe's action scenes. It's when he's in the cage underneath the club, and it's all the little character bits with him interacting with um, I'm blanking on her name, but his friend and and her you know the leading man and all that. Those scenes are the really the money shots, so to speak, in Mighty Joe Young because it shows character and it shows emotion. And it shows it really, really yeah. well. Well, this this movie definitely was probably one of the first movies where they really this this movie is is, is it's really funny because when I'm watch when I was watching it, one of my and I'll get into this more once we're towards the end of the mo- month when we get to uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, but uh, you know I I've always thought Peter Jackson's King Kong was way over long. I enjoyed it. But I thought it was just, you know, a bit more than a bit long, but it wasn't boring. But when I watched this movie at first, I always think King Kong's like an hour and 10 minutes long, but it's like (laughs) almost it's like 10 minutes shy of two hours, which was long for its time. And then I'm realizing, well, you know, the Peter Jackson movie, it unfolds at the same rate at like the proportion of time before you get to Kong Island in the movie is is about the same proportion so he sort of timed it the same but just you know padded everything there's more to it yeah yeah padded it all out so it's like it's very much like you know the original king kong with everything proportioned up you know the cuz the this king kong the new king kong was very violent too and i think he was like all right i have to make this as violent now as that was then you know, so he threw in the scene that they cut out. I don't know if they did. Did they cut it out or did they just never film it with um, the scorpion creatures in the bottom of the uh, the, ravine? the spider pit? Yeah. The, from what I understand, for a long time, it was assumed that the spider pit was censored. But according to um, his own uh, uh, notes, uh, Miriam C. Cooper cut the scene out himself because the story goes that they were at a test audience and that after that scene 
that was all the audience would talk about. It's how gruesome the 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 spider pit was. And so they 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 cut it out because they said it, it basically killed the flow because nobody was into the story anymore. They kept kept talking about the big bugs. And what's interesting is that um, if you have the not the first DVD release of King Kong. The first release was part of a three-pack with Son of Kong and Mighty Joe Young. Um, I think it's the, the special edition one. Peter Jackson has actually recreated that scene using... Because the models still existed. The models showed up as background props in other films that RKO uh -huh. made, amazingly enough. Like the spider. There's a, a scorpion-looking one. There's a lizard. There's a couple of different monsters that O'Brien made. And... So he basically recreated that scene by taking a look at what he could see of the models and, you know, what they knew existed. And the um, O'Brien had did a conceptual sketch of what the scene was supposed to look like. And so they refilmed it. And so that's a special feature on, on certain DVDs. I, I don't have that one, so I haven't seen it. But C it, uh, certain Peter Jackson Kong DVDs or the original? No, the, uh, the, the um, Cooper. Oh, neat. Yeah, as I said, it. I want to say it's the second release on DVD. It's a special edition, but I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. The the, no. the scene where he's shaking people off the log and the rag dolls are falling into the ravine totally reminds me of when Scott and I were kids and we drop action figures into the <laughs> creek and because because you hear like this like and 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 we would do those same screens. I was like, and but it would be like. And it would just cut, and you know, we would just yeah. do the scream until it hit something, and or if it bounced off something, we'd you'd be like, I oh, I, and then just cut it off with it. And each one of them was doing that, just like it. I was watching it, just cracking up because it reminded me of little kids, yep, playing playing sadistically. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it when rag dolls buy it. Oh my god! Yeah. It reminds me of that Firesign Theater movie where they did voiceovers of all the old serials and what is it? The Rocket Man is like fighting someone like on top of a train or something, and then you know they do the really bad jump cut where they're wrestling around, and then all of a sudden he's wrestling a dummy, and you know they voice over, <laughs> take this dummy, and then he chucks him off the train. Yeah, but in all comedy, that you have to see it. The timing of it is what makes what makes it special. Yeah, and um, I love seeing I love seeing all I love seeing old 1933 New York City too, and uh, oh yeah the um, the the first the first establishing shot of Times Square, oh that would I love that I love that shot that is so great and it, and it doesn't look like a stock footage shot you know no. what I mean it, that's what that's what I, I I I just can't keep I keep thinking when I see this movie that it's the forerunner of Lucas and Spielberg. And what really made it me think of like George Lucas in it was I remember when Empire Strikes Back came out and, and Siskel and Ebert were reviewing it. And they're like, the thing about these Star Wars movies is, you know, most movies would have, you know, Luke land on the planet and it would be a jungle and stuff and he'd meet Yoda but this one, you know, you look in the background and there's weird things flying around and, you know, there's always something happening and, you know, it's those added details. And, and you know, I there were some beautiful shots where he would have a mat, like where there was a scene where they're first looking at Skull Island, where they're looking at a mat painting. It almost, you can, a couple times it almost looks like they just have the painting set up in front of them. But, you know, <laughs> but, but it still looks beautiful, you know, it's like theatrical. 
but at the same time, they've like um, rotoscoped birds flying, so you have seagulls yeah. flying all the time, where you didn't wouldn't have to put those in. And then there's a bunch of scenes, you know, in front of Kong's ledge there, where they rotoscoped some real birds on there, which just immediately add all this depth and realism to it because you got real birds just flying around and it's just very advanced thinking of there of, of setting up the reality of the scene and and you know it, it's to the film's credit that you know 70 some years old and I'm still watching it going you know I can feel the depth of this place you know, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm watching a quaint old movie. I get sucked into being on Kong Island. You know, like when he, by the time you, by the time they drop off the cliff, you sort of have in your head a mental layout of Kong's little home there. You know, he's got a sort of cave inside and his ledge where he can hang out and observe his territory and stuff. And it's 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 that sort of thing that makes you actually live in that world, you know? And, I mean, there people must have gone... Well, people did go apeshit over this movie. Huh? <laughs> they, went, they went berserk but over I'm, it, I'm, you know? It just had legs. It had legs until we were little kids. It still had legs into when we were little kids. It wasn't like packing theaters. But it was still kind of a sensation, you know? People are still like King Kong, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and the, the really... One thing that, that a lot of people don't necessarily realize is not only was Kong a sensation here in the States, but around the world. Mm -hmm. King Kong was one of the one of the first American films brought over to Japan after the war. And the Japanese audiences fell in love with King Kong. You think? You think it influenced them at all? <laughs> a little bit. A little? I mean, the, the scene that I always love, uh, I've always loved the scene where, where I wish Kong it influenced. I wonder if they ever thought about, if they ever considered using stop motion, though. That's the one thing. Is well, I'll, I'll, I will, I have a little uh, factoid for you, actually. Um, but look, real quick, let me just say that the, the scene that, that is the most uh, one to one, let's just say, is when Kong destroys the elevated subway. Um, and I, I do love that train derailment because, again, it's it, there's little things going on. If you know, while, while Kong is smashing the top of the train, if you look underneath it, there are people that some of which are stop motion and some of them are uh, rear screen yet. projection. People climbing out of the car, and you don't even notice that the first time because you're watching Kong, you know, go bonk bonk on the head to the train car. <laughs> but um, that scene directly influences a scene in Gojira in 1954 where. Goji steps in front of the train and the train crashes into him and then he picks it up and chomps on it and throws it in his mouth. The train scene was done specifically as an homage to uh, King Kong. And then in 1984, in The Return of Godzilla, which was the, the first modern uh, quote-unquote Godzilla movie, they do another train scene, this time with a Shinisen, with a bullet train. And Goji picks it up and he looks in the window just like Kong did in the original King Kong. So, you know, that, that again, that was done directly as an homage both to the original Go, uh, Godzilla film and to King Kong. So, and, you know, the, uh, the first chance they got, they made a, uh, a, a King Kong film where it was King Kong versus Godzilla in 1963. And to speak about stop motion, there is a very brief sequence of stop motion, uh, of stop motion animation in King Kong versus Godzilla. With it's King Kong and Godzilla? Who, who's yes. Being, oh wow! 
where uh, basically it's during their final fight um, at uh, and Kong charges at uh, Goji and Goji jumps up and kicks him with two feet right in the chest and it is in stop motion. And that scene was done kind of as a test to see how fast and, and well Toho could do the stop motion. And it was determined that it was going to take too much time and too much money. Yeah. So they they went back to Suitmation. So, see, and, and that's the thing also. I mean, uh, the folks who listen to the entire family of Two True Freaks podcast network podcast know that I'm, you know, if you listen to Earth Destruction Directive, you know that I'm a hardcore um, Japanese giant monster fan and love Suitmation. And my father, as I said, a huge King Kong fan and a huge Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen fan loves stop motion. And so there's always been that bit of a friendly rivalry between uh, King Kong and Godzilla. And this this has been active in my household since I was a little kid. <laughs> well, so This is like the perfect opportunity for us to plug um, this since... So, you know, um, since this is King Kong month, you know, every every monthly Monday is going to be a different King Kong month, monthly Monday. But in addition to all that, even Earth Destructive Destruction Directive is going to uh, get a King Kong flavor oh, yeah. this month. Oh, I mean, you're, you're doing a whole month devoted to the eighth wonder of the world. You think I'm not going to get in on that at some point, you know? Um, and as a little coming attraction, if you've listened to the last episode, you know this already, but um, we're doing King Kong Escapes, which was a co-production of Toho and Rankin-Bass, because Rankin-Bass did the uh, King Kong uh, cartoon series in the early 60s. And this is essentially a lot a, a adaption of that series, which is why some things are a little bit, you know, is that why they look King, a little wonky. Is that why King Kong looks just like the Bumble in Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I do not know why Eji Suburaya cannot make a convincing looking ape suit. I don't know why he couldn't do it in King Kong versus Godzilla. Couldn't do it in King Kong Escapes. Has never done it on Ultraman. I don't know why that is. I'm just. <laughs> I guess maybe it's anthropomorphizing, but they always have a sort of Asian look to them. Yeah. And it's like, and when you go to Asia, the, the monkeys in Asia don't look Asian. They just look like monkeys, you know? <laughs> they they don't have Asian characteristics. So I think that's what makes, you know, and, and, and I don't know if it was just there to say, like, this is a Japanese <laughs> movie. And Are you saying that all of them look the same to you, Chris? Yeah. All those King Kongs look the same to me. Well, and and the the really to me, I ridiculous. love those King Kongs though. For some reason, I, I some of my best Japanese. friends are King Kongs. As one of my one of, one of my strongest memories as a kid was Dig Kong, Dig, 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 and I, watching it and just going, "Oh my god!" and like totally sucked into that movie. That that movie freaked well, me out as a kid. All, all I want to say is I don't. Again, I'm I'm going to be talking about this later in the month, but it's again, it's absolutely amazing to me. You may, um, if you have to make a robot ape, the suit looks fantastic. A real ape can't pull it off with this equipment. Uh. <laughs> that 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 is, I will I will say, um, for a long time, uh, I have to give credit where credit is due. Rick Baker's suitmation techniques and the Laurentis Kong for a long time were, in my opinion, the best suitmation we had ever seen in any film. Mm-hmm. Now I, I think that we have gotten we have since um, surpassed that with some of the later. Uh, uh, Godzilla series films in the in the Hesai and uh, Millennium era, but for a long time that was pretty damn good stuff. Well, well, yeah. in my opinion, it's never the suit; it's who's in the suit. 
Right. And like and and yeah, in Kong Kong seventy six, who'd they have in the suit? Rick, Rick Baker, Baker, the Rick king Baker. of the suit, you know. That's king of the suit. I, that's you know, I, I the, that's that's the thing. It takes a certain person to get in an ape suit. And and these days you have what's his a- Andy Sirikis or Circus or Circus. Uh, who's you know, now the suit is digital. But he's still doing the ape suit. That's why when he does yeah. Gollum or King Kong and stuff, it has it has more personality than your average um, computer, you know, CGI thing because there's actually a human, you know, do and and that's what, what I think with like the Willis O'Brien and the Harryhausens and stuff that you don't see when 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 you see a CGI movie these days or. Or something like that you know you have a whole team of people working on that creature to make it realistic and stuff whereas like with Harryhausen and Baker and stuff they're like the soul like Harryhausen was putting his per- and Willis O'Brien are putting their personality into the animations because they're doing it and they see it in their head and Rick Baker you know feels it because he's a he's a monkey so you end up getting the personalities of the humans involved in it, yes. and that's why that you know that's what makes just good art in general. Yeah, and and even and and again, like you said, that it's not the suit; it's the actor that works even with the suitmation. You know, um, he, a lot of people don't don't realize this, but you know, the same actor would play Godzilla in several films in a row, and and it would build his character and how he would react and things of that nature. And you're absolutely right with the. Um, you know, with, with with the stop motion, if there's a conscious decision and there's there's less um, degrees of separation when it's you and your hands and your camera and you're doing that stop motion and you're bringing this creation to life, as opposed to you're you know dragging and dropping and drawing stuff on a tablet and then uploading it to a rendering software and then putting a bitmap on it and then putting a texture map on it and then you know doing the wireframe and all that there, there's too many layers of separation there but you know i mean like, there's, you know, there, there's level there, there's analogs to that in making the you know making the armature and then making the foam musculature you know and having the team yeah. they they had teams of people doing that but when it but came I think down that, to but I think moving it, it gets it. too it gets too it gets too obfuscated when you're doing it that you know it, it's too easy to do that on the computer yeah, nowadays. It's too easy to have a bank of computers with people just working on it and stuff. And, you know, I mean, you, it, it's it's sort of the same as, like, you know, I mean, with um, when like when Disney does an animated movie, they'll have one person in charge of each character, you know, to make sure that that character has, like, a human behind it, molding it and shaping it and, and you know, keeping uh, a consistent consistent thing and that's what i think that and and you know and just to just to bring it up um someone who doesn't get mentioned enough as a unsung ape suit hero in ape suit in in monkey, now that monkey would be a history. game i would buy instead <laughs> um, of guitar hero ape suit hero ape suit hero <laughs> <laughs> and you know i should be i have a, i'm looking in my closet right now at my monkey suit too i should be wearing the body of my <laughs> It's too hot to, but I should be wearing the body of my monkey suit whenever I podcast this. You know, the exact opposite of Scott Gardner is sitting naked. I'm sitting in a rubber and, <laughs> and fur suit. But, um, oh, yes, unsung monkey legend John Landis. Yes. If anybody gets a chance to see the movie Schlock, it's, it's, it's alternately called Schlock and Banana Monster. 
and <laughs> way way back in the in the stone age of two true freaks on one of our first shows an underrated movies show we we sang the praises of schlock but it's all because of john landis in the monkey suit in that he is just awesome he, he plays a, a funny monkey but it's a monkey still and then later on i think john landis had a lot to do with the kentucky fried movie also yes, and uh the Kentucky, he directed that, didn't the, he? Uh, well, I think it was a uh, maybe he directed. Maybe there was a there might have been more than one person involved in it, but I think he may be credited as director, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I know one. I know one of the guys who later on, one of the brothers who ended up in Airplane, had stuff to do with it. But but they bring back. They got. I I believe that's Rick Baker in the monkey suit in um in um in Kentucky Fried Movie mm. in in the 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 morning news show scene. And that's also one of the great comic monkeys. Rick Baker also did a comic monkey in The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Yes. And Billy Tomlin, was, right? Yeah, that was, you know, that that was the only reason I watched that movie was because it had Rick Baker in a monkey suit. And it's like, I've got to I gotta go to that. If it's got Rick Baker in a monkey suit or a talking dog, I'm sort of obligated to go. <laughs> Talk the top, the Rick Baker in a monkey suit's almost never done me wrong. Was Rick Baker in King Kong Lives? I do not think so. I don't think so either because you know, I I still like that movie. It's schlocky as hell, but um, yeah. I, the but thing, but the, the thing the, about the the thing about King Kong Lives, and 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 maybe this is just me, but it it's just there are ways to do a sequel to King Kong. And then there's ways not to do a sequel oh, to King Kong. That, but that's the thing is that that's the thing is they they didn't just they didn't just like go you know you know I like that movie but they got this wrong they got every single thing wrong <laughs> almost purposely it, it's one of those movies where I didn't see it when it first came out and they're like this is the worst movie in the world and when I was a kid when critics said that I was just like I'm not even gonna bother with it without thinking that maybe there might be something that you know tweaks the media masochist in me and that you know that that movie it's jaw-dropping as you watch it going what the hell were they thinking what were they thinking are are we really gonna see like i remember you know are we really gonna see you know just how many scenes of massive chunks of meat being shot out of king kong you know by bullets and you know, it's just this incredibly violent thing, and he eats rednecks and and a big pile of alligators and alligators. And, I mean, oh, and the thing, the scene that always gets me. Is, I'm sorry, what did you say, Hero? I said that's worth paying good money for. Oh, <laughs> where they have him <laughs> hooked that, up and they have the big tubes of blood get pumped into him and stuff like that. Well, yeah, and the, uh, and the 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 bone saw that's like the size of a bicycle. And and the scene that always gets me, they got Lady Kong in a big silo. What do they give her to feed her? A big pile of bananas. And then they're amazed when she doesn't want to eat. <laughs> it's like Jane Goodall is rolling over in her grave, and I'm pretty sure she's well, not dead. Well, that's where you want to get that's where you want to dig up Willis O'Brien and say, Hey, check out what happened. <laughs> that would be very interesting to hear his reaction to it, because I could see him seeing the seventy six Kong and going, Okay, you know. I see how this evolved, but that he would just be like, I, "What future is this?" Some people just don't care about the app they're making. Yeah, 
So I'm yeah. I'm hoping there's some I'm hoping there's some younger listeners out there who maybe haven't seen this before who want to check this out who I would be really curious to see and I know now as being an old codger that that there's probably a lot of people who are probably not familiar at all with with the 33 you know they know it exists but they probably watched the Peter Jackson one and I'd love to see what would happen I, cause I could imagine like sitting down a twelve-year-old kid in front of this King Kong, and if you can get them through the first forty minutes of, you know, getting to Kong Island. Once they get to Kong Island, I think I defy probably almost any kid to go like, "Ah, oh, this sucks," you know. Well, my kids walked in when I was watching it, cause I've had to watch it. My my rewatch for this show, I've had to watch in stages. Unfortunately, my schedule just wouldn't allow me to sit and watch an entire movie anytime recently. I know all about that. But uh, I was watching um, from the part where Kong chases them, you know, to the beach through the end of the movie tonight over dinner, and my kids came into the room. I'm not sure at what point. But both of them kind of had the same reaction of, oh, God, you know, and and making fun and poking fun at the stop, you know, the stop motion and stuff like that. But not five minutes later, they were completely glued to it, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's just a testament to the movie is that you can have that reaction. You know, you can you can look at, you know, the the stop motion, the kind of cheesy effects, you know, the meh, meh acting. <laughs> but, you know you'll get sucked into it. I, I, you know, like you say, I, I defy most anybody to, to not get pulled right into the movie because it overcomes all of that. It's just, it's, this is one of the classic stories, you know, not just a classic monster movie, but it's, it's just a classic story. Yeah. It's iconic. Once you hit, once you hit the ground on, on skull Island, that movie's off and running and doesn't stop till the very yeah. end. It's there's mm-hmm. there's not a du- there's not a moment where something exciting isn't happening. There's a couple pauses to go like, oh, we're safe now and stuff like that. But that don't last long from from that point on. And it's and it's great because you know that there's a sort of um, I don't know um, I don't know if you want to call it a pattern or a formula of that of that slow beginning where you set the scene and you get all the characters and you get your romantic thing and it's funny because they sort of parody that in this movie you know there's there's the scene where he's like okay now you're looking up now you're scared you know now you're amazed and, and frightened and she's reacting to the you know to his you know his because he's hoping to find kong too and he's like okay let's see how she reacts and then you know, within within 15 minutes of that, she's really tied she's up really and here comes it. Kong. And then yeah. you get to see the actress and you get to see like from the beginning where maybe they were cheesing the acting up a little bit. So once they got to the island, when she starts, you know, I mean, it was it was basically, you know, the, the great, great, great grandmother of um, of Jamie Lee Curtis letting out her first scream in, <laughs> in Halloween. You know, it was just like when Faye Ray started screaming, she meant it, you know, it was yeah. a scream of abject terror. And it was great because it was like, Oh, okay. All that cheesy acting at the beginning is a great counterpoint to this. Cause it's like, yeah, now, now things have gotten real, you know? Yeah. And also worth pointing out that at least in this film, Ann Darrow is not an actress. Right. Right. You know, in in the in the Jackson Kong, she's a dancer, 
and a, a vaudeville performer. But here, she's just, as far as we know, and she's just somebody who tried to steal an apple. You right. know that well, that could that uh, denim point that she was an extra or something though. Oh yeah, yeah she said she's an extra work, like yeah. but she's not, you know, but she's not yeah. a, you know, she's not a leading lady by any means. I'd also like to talk about Faye Ray for a minute here. Is that, you know, and you don't really think about this when you're a kid, but damn, Faye Ray was a good-looking woman she in 19. She's hot. Oh, wow. yes, nice legs. I tell you what, there's one scene where where uh, she's sitting in the tree, or no, she's not sitting in the tree. I think it's when she's in the cave right before the plesiosaur. Because if she starts really scissor kicking her legs, it's like hot damn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was that was some cheesecake in those days. That was. Yeah. Real, that was truly like, I, wa- I, I wonder if pe- there was any outcry and parents going, "Don't take your kids to King Kong. It's, it's got a, bo- it's got boobs in it." And I mean, the the first thing King Kong does when he gets a private moment, though, is start to take her clothes off. So, it's that he realism. Snips his fingers, which I can't yes. help but but wonder about <laughs> the, you know, is that alluding to what I think it's alluding well, to? When you, when you like, read the comic... Oh, you, never played, when, you never played that game? Hey, when, guess where I've been? And you stick your fingers right. in his face. <laughs> when, 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 <laughs> when, um. I, I have some stories about that, but I don't want to tangent up. Um, it's funny, like, when I remember reading the comic of it. I remember reading the book adaption of the original King Kong, the novelization of it, which was written back, like, I think a few years after King Kong came out to cash in on it, but it was still yeah. a really good ad- Are you adaptation. Because sure? I thought that was written as, as uh, you know, almost like Star Wars was written in no, advance of the movie to no, kind of drum up interest. No, no, they pulled it. They pulled it out of the archives and reprinted it uh, in paperback. Some, some with like some neat painting. I've got one with this great orange painting of King Kong on it from the 76 one but when the 76 one came out i think that's pretty much the the novelization from from the original that they just reprinted i'm I'm pretty sure of it i'll have to no what i'm saying is the 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 original novel to kong wasn't that written in advance of the 33 movie coming out or you're oh maybe maybe it maybe it was but um it was it was out around the same time as Right, as a movie, it was uh, those go for a mint on, on the eBay's. I've noticed the original yeah, but hardcovers you know, and stuff. If you're talking an original, yeah, but it's it's been reprinted a zillion times because I've been watching one that I, I, I've been thinking about bidding on that's like a penny or something. So, for now, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, when when I read the novel and the comics and stuff, King Kong was supposed to be sort of playing with her hair, but when I'm <laughs> watching that, it don't look like he's playing with her hair. And I think that I think that I think in those days that that um, animators were they were men too, and they were not above like putting in a little something that the adults are going to notice and go, yeah, I think that's what I would do if I was King Kong in this situation. Well, there's definitely <laughs> that one moment he's he's you know he's taking his his index finger and going boo, and it looks like he's you know playing yeah. with her boots, which right. I think that was supposed greatly. I think they were playing that off as he's playing with her hair, but we all—I right. think we all knew. Maybe she just smelled there, really bad, though. That's when, why he smelled his finger. When, he was just she like shit her pants, I would imagine. He, he sent. He sent. He, uh, my friend, our Scotts, and my friend Mike Cross used to call that sending in the probe. <laughs> Send in a probe first before you before you dive. And now we're back to the black hole. 
I, I did want to say, uh, you talk about, um, uh, you know, the film really does pick up once they hit Skull Island, and um, that, that's true. It takes about it takes about 30 minutes, 35 if you have a copy with the overture, uh, before they land on Skull Island, and then it's right at 45 minutes that Kong shows up. So it is, um, or 40 minutes without the overture. So it's about 10 minutes between from when they land on Skull Island, uh, where, you know, they, they see the ceremony, they get yelled at, they leave, the natives come and kidnap her, and then Kong shows up at the, cere at the ceremony. From there, you know, we've still got a good, you know, let's see, about 45 minutes or so left in the movie, and it just absolutely flies by because it's one after the other after the other. It does never gives you a real chance to, to catch your breath. And even when you do, you talked about, you know, that the, um, there's a couple of scenes where they say, well, now we're safe. The, where um, uh, Jack and Anne, when they come back to the beach through the gate in front of Kong, it seems like it should be a relief scene because we don't have any sign of Kong whatsoever at that point. But even then, you know, Cooper kind of keeps you on your toes because what's the first thing that Denim says? He says, if I could capture him alive. And, and he goes, well, he's up on a mountain where and where he is, a whole army couldn't even get to him. He goes, yeah, if he stays there, but we've got something he wants. And it's like, he's really freaking going there. You know, this guy is always, he's always thinking about what the next story is. Like you said, how do I spin this? How do I make you know make a story out of this not only does he go there but he looks her in the eyes when yeah. he says <laughs> points right at her I, I also would because he doesn't think there's anything wrong with that he's just stating he's he's at total opportunist he's just stating yeah. the fact which and that is a fact but you know that and you can see you can see a driscoll just bristling that he's just like yeah you asshole <laughs> <laughs> The, the other the other great exchange I love when they first land on Skull Island and they're sneaking up on the ceremony Captain Engelhart goes uh, that girl is the bride of Kong and Denim goes great <laughs> <laughs> what's funny though is every time I watch this movie there I always do have the same thought though is that you know granted he's 60 feet tall or whatever but at the end of the day, Kong is just a big monkey. You know, I can go to the zoo and see big monkeys. You know, I can go see gorillas or what. I'm always, like, weirded out by the fact that they're not more freaked out by the dinosaurs. Why <laughs> Why does he want to take a dinosaur back to New York, you know? No, they, they, they just shoot him dead. They're happy with that. No, he, you know, he does say that. He says, if I could capture one of them, referring to the uh, stegosaurus. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day... uh. uh a big ape, you know. Easier uh, to tie down and maintain than a and stegosaurus. Feed, and feed bananas, apparently. So, <laughs> well, well, plus, you know, it's it, it's the angle too. It's it's uh, you know, it's denim's always working the angle. Beauty and the Beast, boys. There's your story, you know. Well, I I I, I don't. Right. They do kind of play kind of cavalier with the fact that a uh, an animal that's been dead for eighty million years is charging at them. It's like, oh, just shoot right. it. Right. <laughs> You no, know, in Jurassic Park, they had the the decency to at least be uh, in awe. It's it's just like it's just like the racism. It was a different world, you know. When he was talking at the beginning, and and she was like, "Do you always do your own camera work?" And he's like, "Well, I, I basically I had a cameraman who was a pussy, so I do my own, you know." And he was basically <laughs> like, you know, we were filming we were filming a um a rhinoceros, you know, a white rhinoceros running at us, and he didn't trust me to shoot it dead before it got a got and. 
and just the crass, you know, I mean, the crassness of him going like, oh, I wanted to get a good shot, so we're going to kill a rare white rhinoceros, you know, to get the shot of it <laughs> running at us. You know, these days he would have PETA up and down his ass and uh, not even PETA, you know, almost anybody's just like, yeah, dude, come on. That's a little sketchy. But back in those days, it's like, oh, is that a big animal? Shoot it in the eye. Shoot it in the <laughs> eye. <laughs> oh, an animal that's supposed to be extinct. Let's kill it. Get it in the yeah. eye. Get it right in the eye. <laughs> and, and, then, and, then, and then the reaction was like, yes, it was basically King Kong's reaction. Wiggle its head and then beat your chest. That's yeah. what I love is he's consistent. His King Kong has a logic system. Is it moving? <laughs> is it moving? Kill it. Did it stop moving? Check its jaw and its neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> its jaw and its neck are loose. Beat your the, chest. The greatest bit of animation in that to me is that just flapping yes. the jaw. Just flapping the jaw like, how does this thing work? Why isn't it Why isn't it biting me anymore? <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that that is such a visceral and the crack of the bones breaking and mm-hmm. and that stuff. I mean, and the people must have been squirming in their seats. Even even if it is a T Rex and you don't really feel too sorry for it, it's, it's just pretty, it's pretty intense. That's a pretty it's, horrible way to die. Too. <laughs> yes, yeah. I I, alf, I often question if that would be a deadly thing if the the T Rex should have just lumbered away with its bottom jaw hanging going. Oh, what the fuck am I gonna do now? You know, I can't. <laughs> he just looks shocked. Yeah. He goes back to the T Rexes. What's the matter, dude? T Rexes always look shocked. <laughs> With the little arms flailing. So uh, you fought and... King Kong. How was it? Jaw dropping, oh. man. Yeah. <sighs> and 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 you know, I know it is scientifically inaccurate with what we know nowadays, but all the shots of the T Rex's tail just slithering back and forth. I, I'm dragging it on the ground. I love that. Yes. I absolutely love that. Well, when whenever I see, like, dinosaurs and stuff with tails that move like that, it, it gives them, it makes them look like they're thinking, you know, like a cat tail or something. You know, when you see it move, it it just get, it gives them, it gives them that added, added personality. And I like, and, and if you notice the way the, the T-Rex operates is he was, you know, they were getting some stuff wrong, but remember, they probably didn't know as much about dinosaurs as we do yeah. nowadays. But he was also taking into account that the T-Rex was looking out of each side of its head instead of head on. So he wouldn't <laughs> notice Fay Ray until he was looking, you know, to the side. <laughs> Whereas most, you know, animators would have him look directly straight at, a, at her and go, oh, food. But yeah. no, this thing's just like, this thing's just watch, walking by, scratching its scratching its nose and eye nonchalant and then it's it, it, it's awesome i i do i have to say that uh chris your your comment that it makes them think makes it looks like they're thinking i would love to know what the t-rex is thinking i'm gonna bite them i'm gonna bite them food food I'm gonna food, bite them. food food <laughs> food, food. Hey, yes yes good good right bad up. my single favorite moment of of animation in the whole movie is when uh kong in the and the t-rex are grappling with each other and kong has got it so tight that it can't get any leverage and it's trying to sink its jaws like into its into kong's shoulder blade yeah and it takes several like real tries to try to like get a grip and just can't do it i love that bit of animation that that looks fantastic because you can see it's really trying to to get a piece of him and just can't you know just can't maneuver 
and, love and the physics of it works. It's right. It's, exactly. It's yeah. not just like somebody's like a lot of times when you see people do claymation or or animation, <coughs> the people that aren't good at it. It's their idea of two things fighting. So they like have to they play with the limitations of whatever characters they have. But this, you know, when when these animals are fighting, they're literally fighting for their lives and it's like no wonder King I'm thinking no wonder King Kong's such a prick, man. Everything is trying to kill him yeah. at all times. And and, and Scott, uh, to your point about, about that animation and that whole sequence is that um, I don't remember if it was Marion C. Cooper or Willis O'Brien, but one of them, when they were in school, was a wrestler. And they mm -hmm. actually, um, you know, choreographed out the entire fight with two people to get the angles and the physics right before um, O'Brien started actually animating the fight between Kong and the T-Rex. So they're grappling around because it's based on an actual, you know, two guys grappling with each other. Now, admittedly, in the models, one guy's got tiny little hands, but, you know, they, they, they made sure that, that the, the flow was right and the back and forth and who's grabbing where and who's trying to get leverage. Did they that, do that you know, for again, the snake it, battle? Because I'd love to see the test footage they had of the guy who had to play the snake. <laughs> how, they, how they did that. Poor guy with no bones. Yeah, exactly. They got a contortionist from the circus and were like, um, we need you in this monkey movie. They just went out and got the garden hose from the side of that yeah. house. <laughs> well, there, some, we need you to wrestle some... this garden hose in front of a camera for a while. We swear it's for a real movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't have the internet in those days, so people weren't yeah. as suspicious. They're like, okay. Well, and, and, you know, there's some good character bits in that fight, too. Every time the plesiosaur, you know, every, every time it finally wraps its tail completely around him, Kong starts gagging and throwing his head back and choking. Mm-hmm. But as soon as Kong's able to, to fight free a little bit, he he recovers, and it's every time it's that it's it's every time he gets the tail fully wrapped, starts freaking out and gagging. I, I always like that, you know. It's as soon as he gets the the, the full constriction going with the with the the, the choke, what he I, starts feeling it. What I love about this, another thing I love about this movie is when the when the the killing is equal. Kong's killing is equal opportunity killing like yeah. i mean when when you think about the like racist overtones of this what was another line there was another line oh they're up to some of their demon tricks <laughs> um, but when when he's running a rampage through the na native camp and he's chewing up natives and stuff and uh i always think in a movie like that it's like okay you know natives are like red shirts they'll they'll wipe out tons of them but when he gets to new york city you know, and, and and you'd think, you know, okay, you probably won't see Kong kill as many, you know, white folks as as horribly. But guess what? Yeah. <laughs> no, he has no problem. I love it. I, he grabs that grabs that one girl. That's my favorite. Down and throws her to the street. He's just like, is this my girlfriend? You're not my girlfriend. He could he could have just as easily put her back in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just as easily. But he's just like, eh. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> you don't smell well, the same. Well, he's been touched by Kong. Life isn't worth living. <laughs> but and then the I Kong funk will never go away. Oh, <laughs> you, I, I I thought about that poor woman was sound. As, uh, think about being sound asleep, <laughs> and you hear your window break, and you wake up, 
And the next thing you know, a giant rubber hand is grabbing you and you're hanging <laughs> over Times Square and a monkey's looking at you. And this has got to be just... The, I, if, I, I don't know. If there's a way to go... I'd rather just die. <laughs> no, that, that sounds good. You know? That's what I'm saying. I, I don't. I don't want to survive that. It's like no thanks. No. I'll yeah. Just... Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let, let let this be the way I die. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now drop me. Because, because if I tell this story at a cocktail party, nobody's gonna fucking believe me. Well, hopefully they would believe you after King Kong wrecked half of New York's. New no, York's but like, oh yeah, party. sure. Kong grabbed you out of your bed and held you up and put you back. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I still got, I, I still got my nighty. You want to smell it? It smells like gorilla palm. You know, you tell me how that smells, because you know how gorillas wipe their ass with their hands. So, yeah, uh, yeah Fay Ray, ha- Fay Ray probably was like, smelled like, yeah, the gaming, the gaming section of uh, Dragon Con. Ooh. <laughs> hey everyone faithful friend and acolyte of the two true freaks and gallant co-host of the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror hair metal hero here are you like me well obviously you aren't as awesome as me and my mellifluous singing voice but that's forgivable moving on do you like to attend cons of course you do i mean i don't but that's only because if i want to be seriously depressed and grossed out i just stand naked in front of a full-length mirror ladies call me But if you do attend cons, you know what the biggest downside is? No, it's not the registration line, or the mobs of people, or the insane markup on bootlegs of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's the dreaded con funk. Yeah, that's right. It's that one-of-a-kind pungent aroma that smells like stale piss, rotten Doritos, and days upon days of mouth-breathing, eyeball-licking, basement-dwelling nerd B.O. Well, I'm here to tell you that help is on the way from none other than all the hard-working scientists here at DiManzo Corp Advanced Olfactory Labs, deep below the bowels of Milan, Italy. Dufo has graciously provided a sizable grant for scent research in the brave hope that one day he can finally attend a big show, incognito of course, without having to continuously retch and gasp. And let me tell you folks, this shit works. What is it you ask? Why it's none other than Confunk Soap. Yes, that's right. Con Funk Soap contains copious amounts of bleach, rose petal extract, and the dried up essence of the tears of the unborn. That's where the power lies. It's guaranteed to make the average congoer who smells like a flowering anus go from repugnant to tolerable. Just slather it on and let it soak in, rinse, and repeat. Don't forget to get your grundles and fupas some extra attention. Hey, no one is saying don't attend the cons, but now you don't have to smell like you do. That's Confunk Soap, another fine product from DeMonzocorp. Confunk Soap, it's the least you can do. DeMonzocorp of Milan, Italy takes no legal responsibility for allergic reaction to baby tears. <laughs> I, w- I would have liked to have seen, like, maybe someday we should do a director's director's cut where, uh, you know, where after, you know, after Con- Kong's dead and, you know, she's she- she's like, well, at least we're getting married. And he's like, about that, yeah. I don't know if I can live with the the smell and and you know every time I think about how like you were with that you know big black guy from Skull Island, I can't get it out of my head. I don't. I I just well, I feel I feel inadequate after you know I know. can't take you to the top of the Empire State Building and and well, shake you here, around. Here's the thing. 
here's the thing. What if he's into it? He might be. Ooh, what he... if he's a what if he's like a cuckold? You know. Oh, <laughs> oh or what? Yeah, or what if? It, yeah, uh, yeah. Tell me about Kong again. Yeah, he was strong, wasn't he? He was much stronger than me, right? You know what's what's he gonna do? Is he? Uh, he's like, oh, oh, shit, dear, look out! There's a hornet. Got it. She's gonna be like, yeah, whatever, man. Whatever. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about something. It's uh for such an older movie, it's uh it's got some pretty what I would consider current film techniques in it. There's the, oh, the yeah. scene where the uh the scene where uh the, the, the lizard is climbing up the vine. Yeah. And uh he's sitting there he's sawing at it. And you see the, the lizard drop, and it immediately pans up to Kong looking over. I'm like, fuck you, buddy. It's like, <laughs> I just, you don't think of, like, like, I wouldn't even have thought to do that. It's, it, it's you know, it's the, it's the you know, the, the monster in the bed with you in a horror movie. You turn one way, you turn the other way, the monster's there. And yeah. It's like, I just, it, it was interesting to me to see that and, and realize what was going on. Basically, the story is if you're on Skull Island, you're screwed if you're on the wrong side of the fence. Once you're yeah. on the wrong side of the fence, you're food if you're under <laughs> 15 feet tall, you know. <laughs> so it, it's and and I love that. I love that, you know, and there and if you really think of it, that's a trope of modern movies is that constant, you know, not let not letting up, you know, that started like in the 70s with the hardcore cop movies and stuff. And it's, you know been the evolution through the action movies to where we have our like matrix style things where where it's like that once you get once the movie gets going it keeps you on uh and uh i don't think for a long it was a long time after king kong before anything that that came out of hollywood ever hit that it was it's so close to the prototype of the modern blockbuster you know i i, I wonder how much I wonder how big of an effect like King Kong had on the the young mind of like your Spielbergs and your yeah. Lucases and stuff when they saw it, you know, because I mean it's 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 routinely cited as inspiration, you know. And and that and uh, and then the Harryhausen films of the 60s which were in turn inspired by Kong as well. And I see strong parallels between the original King Kong and the original Star Wars. I mean, very strong parallels. Oh, yeah. Because while Star Wars doesn't, it doesn't necessarily start out slow and take time to get going, you know, it could be argued that until, you know, they, they truly get to the Death Star, that that's when the movie really gets rolling, you know, but once they get there, it's nonstop and it, and it just goes and goes and goes. And then, of course, you have, you know, the, the X-Wings lift off to go battle, you know, the Death Star is the, the big climax to that movie. Same thing with Kong, you know, the, the planes lift off to go battle Kong mm -hmm. at the you know top of the Empire State Building. I, I just see, you know, giant parallels there. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've also got a, you know, the uh, the heroine is held captive by the the heavy who's, uh, you know, dressed in black. And mm -hmm. he's got an impregnable fortress that they've got to go, you know, basically break into to rescue her. Oh, you know, they even if totally even have Kong take off his head at the end of the movie, and he's just a crusty old white guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pasty old white guy. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that'd be something. <laughs> 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 Let me look upon you with mine own 
Well, that is one thing, though, that, uh, you know, one difference between, say, Star Wars and uh, and King Kong, though, is that Fay Ray just annoys me. And I realized that this was just how movies were back in this time. But, I mean, not as it just, you know, not only is it just blatant with its sexism and, you know, ah, women don't belong in a ship. They're just a pain in the ass kind yeah. of thing. But then well, she just true? reinforces the stereotype by being a pain in the ass well, and by being nothing but a cream puff. Well, I because mean, we're used to it in movies now. They're giving women, a, you know, a more, more, you know, spunky or a more proactive right, role in right. things. And... And you know that it ju they just didn't think of it. That's how women react, you know. And what's funny is I kept thinking, you know, it's good she screams when something's attacking her because Kong will come and kill it. But the problem with her is she's gonna scream no matter what happens. So there's times when you don't want Kong to come running, and that's when when um, when um, Driscoll finds her, you know, and and Kong's. I, was he was he fighting the pterodactyl at that point? Uh -huh. Yeah. So and and, uh, and you know you see her getting ready to scream, and he just slaps his hand over his mo her mouth, and he's like, "Don't!" <laughs> right. And there's uh, got to be a, a scientific name for people that that talk to movies while they watch them. I have no idea what it is, <laughs> but I, whatever it is, I'm a classic case of it. You know, cinemaphilicus annoyicus. Something like that. I mean, there's umpteen parts of this movie where I just said, you know, I screamed at the movie, get up and run, you stupid bitch, because she just sits there and screams. And the worst one is is when Kong climbs the building and looks in the window. Now, Jack, you know, he's either really brave or really stupid, depending on your point of view. He picks up a chair to battle Kong, yes. which is just like, oh, what the hell are you going to do with a chair? But at no, least you, he you tries what, to do something. Yeah. You no, use what you have on hand, you know? Right. But he's, you know, you know, theoretically, he's offering up his life to defend her. The least she could do is get her lazy ass off the bed and run out the door. But what does she do? She just lays there, waits wow. for Jack to get knocked down, and then Kong picks her up and makes off with her. She had every opportunity to escape, but she she does that that old-timey, you know, I'm a woman, I'm paralyzed with fear. All I can do is fall to the ground and scream, and it's... You know, I'm not knocking the film for it. It's just a trope of movies of that time. But it is really annoying to me. It's like, well, get off your ass and run. But, you know, you say a trope of that time. That, does that, you know, a very similar thing happens in 76. I mean, that big hand just reaches in and Jessica Lange just stands there. So which, even, even as late as... which part you're talking about. If you're talking like in the bar, you know, which is, a, you know, a, the parallel to this scene... You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to offer up my defense of that movie later. I know you and I are going to differ greatly on that. I love, love, love the '76 version. Well, but, I, I have avoided but, talking about it here because I. Well, I, and and I and I don't and you know I don't want to spoil your your commentary. All I'm saying is is that even into the '70s, you know, even pat, post women's lib, we still got stuff like that in movies. Not, oh, not yeah. necessarily just Kong, right. but it was still going on. It right. takes a long time to get away from that trope of the, uh, um, on, I think on TV tropes they, they, they refer to it as the uh, the female paralyzation technique, well, where right. you, you know a, a girl can be kicking ass nine ways to Thursday. If you grab her by the back of her bicep, she's immediately paralyzed. Well, <laughs> what, what I love about this is he discovers her because she pa she's 
passing out, I'm assuming, from either the stress of almost being arrested or from hunger. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing in the movie context it was from hunger. That's why she was stealing the apple because she was absolutely starving. But when he sees her almost passed out, her face takes on a sort of romance look. And he's just like, ah, oh, of course, you know. And the, yeah, it's it's. But what what really I I find interesting about the whole King Kong trope and the iconic King Kong story and the way people look at at King Kong and when you look at the Peter Jackson Kong and the '76 Kong, you know they're not only made as if you know they're just made from that movie, they're made with that movie and all the cultural background that's yeah. piled on it and and some of the piling on in the intervening years that's shown up in 76 Kong and Peter Jackson Kong is this whole story of like almost the uh some you know some sort of platonic romance between um you know between her and Kong uh, of of where you know she you know she kind of you know she's kind of at the end of the movie shedding a tear for Kong you know and feeling sorry for him and and felt some sort of, you know, connection with him, maybe because he saved her life or, or whatever, because he's, uh, you know, just a big, dumb, nice ape that didn't eat now, her. Are you talking about the later versions? Well, this is what I'm saying. Uh, this is how people, this is how people perceive it, and, and elements yeah. of that came out in the later versions. But when you watch the 33 there. Kong, it ain't there at all. Yeah, hey, Kong, no. Kong is all into her. But she ain't Give having it. She's scared to death of him. She don't want anything to do him. She never right. wants to see him again. She wants, you know, she's, you know, when he, is he dead? Good. Well, he ain't coming after me no more. You know, yeah. I can get on with being a famous actress. And the right. other, and, the, and, and especially in the Peter Jackson Kong, and it's like probably because it's evolving in our culture, you know, she's, she's communicating with him and doing little dances with him and stuff. See, and, I think and, she's only doing that to stay alive. That's the well, impression yeah. I got. Well, but, she no, but, is, but she. But by the end of it, she. You by the know. end of it, she's. Uh, you know, she, by the end of it, she's yelling at it, and in the Jackson Kong, and is yelling at the planes not to shoot. Yes. At him. Yes. Please, so you know. I, you know, I, and I think you're right. I, I think it's you know, um, to me, it's one of those things. I refer to him as the, oh, everybody knows that situations, where a lot of times. You know, we always try to make a Star Trek connection. Everyone assumes that Captain Kirk every episode said, be me up, Scotty. And we all know that he never said it. But everybody right. knows that. And everybody knows that in King Kong, you know, she likes the ape at the end of it. It's like, no, that's not no, true. No. And, and really, when, in, in fact, of, of all the departures that, that were made from the original when, they, when De Laurentiis made 76, that was really one of the biggest ones when you get down, get down to the brass tacks of it. You know, changing the, the story and the narrative, you know, those are creative decisions, but that's a pretty big thematic change. That's actually you know? one of my very favorite mo moments of the 76 one is where, because I think a change does come over her in that movie where, you know, the, the the moment I was going to refer to is is where she tells Kong, "Don't put me down, don't put me down, because they're going to kill you." I like that. That I, you know, as a kid, that may have been the moment where I mm -hmm. where I truly fell in love with that movie and saw the greatest difference between this original well, and that one is in you know, like you say, in the original one, you never get the feeling that 
you know, that she cared one way or the other that they took Kong out, she was probably relieved because now she wasn't going to be carted around anymore. Right, you know? right. Well, I, <laughs> but I, I like that with the with the original one, and, and I think that actually ties more to the whole Beauty and the Beast thing much yes. stronger than the yes. parallels well, they try to draw with the with the thirty three well, version. That's where it starts, where you start getting in, and like the word meme is so abused these days as just being like you know a picture with a with a stupid comment Funny on it. Cat. Right, a fun, <laughs> uh, a cute cat, but you know, there. I I think this is where where it gets into the stuff that really fascinates me, the cultural aspect of it, and like you said, the everybody knows part of it. Whereas I think, like, and I think it probably. And Scott, you sort of gave me the idea when you just said "Beauty Killed the Beast." I think it was that line at the end of the movie which become came such a iconic line. You know, it was beauty that killed the beast. And what's funny is when you read it or you hear it talked about in a book, it sounds like this noble statement, but it's him doing a P.T. Barnum, really. Right. But um, Very much so. But I think well, I, that I, picked up in people's minds. And right. over the years, it just became part of what like the collective conscious oh, of sure. people perceived as King Kong as this relationship between... It's almost like, you know, people start seeing, like imagining a real relationship between like um oh what was the guy that shot now i can't was the guy who shot which one of them were did they both the lennon shooter and reagan shooter did they both like jody foster i know one of them especially had more for reagan's 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 shooter yeah it's like it's like after a while people start imagining that they really had a relation you know well, when Dad, Jodie Foster was dating that guy that shot Reagan, no, she didn't like that guy. You know, well, he was, that was something I was going to bring up. Is that I, I find it very amusing and very ironic. You know that this movie played so strongly on the whole Beauty and the Beast thing. Well, now you know enough time has passed and and legend has built up and you know legend becomes myth and all that sort of thing. That Kong has now kind of joined that realm yeah. of fairy tale. And, yeah. you know, the great thing about fairy tales, the, the kind of cool thing about them is that, you know, playing into what Luke said about, you know, everybody knows that. Well, everybody thinks they know fairy tales and stories maybe because they're handed down in bits and pieces over the years, you know, and it's not until you go back and look at the original source. A lot of times you go, oh, wow, this is not really what I yeah. thought it was or this it's is like what a I heard. Game of Kong is exactly like that. I hadn't sat and watched the 33 Kong in a long, long time. And rewatching it again, there were so many elements that I had forgotten, you know, that that I was misremembering because I'm much more familiar with the the first remake, you know. Yeah. And and it was those you know pleasant discoveries and those differences that really made it a fun watch for me. And that's why, you know, I want to encourage people to go back, especially you know if if you're only familiar with you know the other two versions or you know even the most recent one, you know the the yeah. Peter Jackson one. You know, if you liked it, if you didn't like it, whatever. You know, if you're if you're at least interested, go back and watch the original because you know it's it's still much better well, than, here, than that. Here's the thing, you know how people are like, we live in cynical times, and and we've got like the whole thing where people have to take stuff like comic book movies and they feel that they have to make it realistic and gritty and kind of cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, the just the opposite happened with King Kong. When you watch the original King Kong. 
it's a pretty i mean it's a cynical movie people get wasted by the dozens it's not overly sentimental it's not sentimental the 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 monkey is not thought of you know there's no nobody nobody it's like dino de Laurenta said uh, about kong 76 nobody cry for the monkey in the original kong and this one they cry for the monkey denim is yeah. a cynical you know exploiter and you know, at the end, the cops are just like, oh, the monkey's dead, eh, you know, get a yeah. quote for the press. And, and you know, there there isn't much sentiment, sentimentalizing about anything or any anyone, you know. They, you know, they have the romantic leads are getting married or what, whatever. But, you know, but as time goes on, now that you get into modern times, the King Kong movies are getting more touchy-feely and more, like, yeah. happy ending and, like sort of idealistic like kong is really good at heart and 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 this one and this one in the times it was like big monkey loose in new york everybody says kill kill monkey yeah. now well and 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 part of it also is you know the development of the character of kong between mm-hmm. 1933 and then and 1976 just from it being re-released over and over again kong became a fan favorite you know, he he was playing the heel in the original, so we're not supposed to feel well, any sympathy. Well, just really, like Godzilla, really Godzilla. Did, when yeah, and I and I don't and I don't want to go on another another Godzilla tangent here because you know I do a I do a show for that, but it's the same idea. You know, the when when somebody becomes popular enough, they become a good guy, whether God, it makes sense or not. Godzilla and, went from being like, how do we destroy him before he destroys us, to becoming like the protector of humanity yeah. at some point well i mean and to and to keep you know I, again I, I won't get on the tangent but um so we're by the time we get around to 76 and then especially in 2005 the idea of kong as a as a monster as a as a villain is it's nonsense to most people it doesn't make no oh, kong yeah he's big ape you know climb the empire state building with fey ray you know it's like Everybody, you know, he's the character everyone identifies right, with, so he is right. the hero. He's the hero now, yeah. yes. And he still still, still comes to the same conclusion. They don't have him save the day or anything like that. And, yeah. and now, the, that would be a novel version of King Kong if he the police, he swats all the airplanes down and just lives on top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> I, I wonder if part of that, that collective, uh, whatever you want to call it, collective misperception or whatever... Yeah of of her coming to care for Kong and being sad that he died. I wonder if that's the audience projecting. You know what oh, I mean? Because oh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. audiences very clearly did come to cuz that death scene is tragic. I mean, the 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 long you, you, shot of him falling and bouncing off the Empire State Building is just it's it's kind of heartbreaking mm-hmm. at that moment. But then again, I don't know how that was to a 1930s audience because we were raised up in a more feel for the monkey age, you know, a, a more, you know, em, I don't want to say environmental perception of it, but you know, I mean, we were we grew up watching like National Geographic specials right. and PBS on how to preserve wild, you know, right. it, it went from little kids we were like you preserve wildlife and we would watch jane goodall specials with the apes and chimps and you had coco i'm not even talking about that i mean anybody with a heart 
you know, yeah. you, you, you don't want to see a dog get kicked. Or, well, the thing you know, about King uh, Kong you know, is you feel like bad that. for him because he's out of his, he's been taken out of his world. Right. And it's like, well, that's the thing. If he's you want to preserve wildlife, don't fuck with it. Don't Just bring it, right. don't, don't bring it into but New I'm, York I'm City. I'm not even talking about the whole, you know, environmentality, tree hugger, pussy pacifist thing. I'm talking about well, just the I, simple really. fact. <laughs> I mean, he's a big, dumb animal in the long run. I mean, it, it's it's heartbreaking for to see any animal abused or, or hurt. And I think that those scenes at the end of the movie are purposely shot the way they are to make Kong suddenly he goes from being a big scary monster to tiny. Oh, don't, don't kill the monster. Well, oh, don't, oh, don't, you don't need to kill him. When he falls, you know? he's tiny. And they, and they also right, do a yes. lot of long shots of him going up the Empire State Building where it's from far away. And all of a sudden, you see, you know, outside of the context of the mighty, even Skull Island, which was a mighty impressive place. Once he gets to New York City, he's he's dwarfed. Yeah. You know, he's and, out of his element. He's dwarfed. He's not going to break humanity's jaw and then wiggle their their yeah. their neck. And and you know what does and what does Denim say at the introduction at the theater? He says he was a king and a god in the world he knew, but now he comes to civilization merely a captive, a right. show to gratify your curiosity. Right. And it's like he was this, you know, That's this, a this cynical amazing... statement, you know, and yeah. and yeah. I'm the guy who did it. <laughs> and I'm the guy who did it. Did it, did it, did it, did it. Thank Kong. you, and now I have a bucket of money. <laughs> Look at... I'm going to rip off uh, um, Michael Bailey. Did it, did it, did it, did it. King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> and from... And, and for my next trick, I'll be diving into my pool full of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, we, you know, he's, I mean, what, what was Kong doing? Kong was doing what came naturally to him. It's uh, Inoshiro Honda, the uh, director of, of Godzilla and lots of other Japanese films. He has a quote that says, monsters are born too tall, too heavy, and too strong. And that is their tragedy. It's not Kong's fault that he's in New York. It's not Kong's fault right. that he's a big ape and that nobody's used to that. He's doing what comes naturally to him. And unfortunately, that is not congruent with the way that the world he's in now. now like you say, Chris, he's not going to break mankind's jaw and, and run off into the jungle. Now, how about, how about this, too? What do you think about, like... Uh, subsequent, you know, like the universal, especially and especially what made me remind reminded me of that was when you said big, too big, you know, too tall, too strong was Frankenstein. Yeah. Right. And I'm thinking like maybe the popularity of Frankenstein in our culture after and, and, and when we were kids, like when you go to the like library and find like a monster, you know, monsters of the movie book or something, this Frankenstein and King Kong and all that and and with Frankenstein he was the same thing he was big and and lumbering but you know he he liked little kids and stuff and he was just misunderstood and maybe some of that mojo just seeped into the king kong you know over the years to where you know you had where you had to make the big guy a little bit sympathetic as time went on and well, you know, you yeah. had talked about cultural differences before and, you know, how things changed with the ages and such. I think that's one of the reasons I never, ever, ever got into um, slasher flicks and stuff like that. I realized that that was a really popular genre. It never really struck a chord with me, and I never really gave it much thought until just this moment that maybe that's the reason is that I've always enjoyed the misunderstood monsters best. You know, I always in enjoyed the ones where there was a certain measure of 
you know, why don't you quit poking it with a stick and it, maybe it'll yeah. leave you alone, you know, like, like Frankenstein squad. and, well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, well, I mean, even the monster squad, you know, like Dracula, there's no yeah. redeeming, you know, I don't sympathize yeah. with Dracula. He's yeah. an evil bastard trying to kill people. But I mean, like, you know, like Frankenstein and, and the Gill Man and King Kong and stuff like that. I mean, those kind of monsters have a certain, you know, innate tragic element to yeah, their story yes. that if you had just oh. left Kong the hell alone in his own world, you know, nobody would have died and, and right. he'd be living peaceably there battling dinosaurs, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, and, that's, a great sta- that's a great statement right there. Living peaceably battling dinosaurs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not killing well, anyone. Except not killing exactly. anyone except for hundreds and hundreds of rare dinosaurs. And, and villagers every time he escapes and, and eating their women once a year or whatever. Well, I'm thinking maybe, you know, since they're talking about an ancient civilization set up those walls to to keep Kong away, you know, more, you know, back thousands of years ago. Kong, ancient aliens. Kong ain't that old. Stop. Stop it, you. Um, but uh, st- cut it out, Eric Von Daniken. But... Um, <laughs> You know, so so that means the aliens, the aliens, the built of built of all, to hold in the big monkey. <laughs> so why the aliens build a big gate in it instead of building a wall with just a little door? Well, you gotta. I know why not. Why why not do like those? Why not do like they do with convenience stores with just a slot to slide the virgin through when you have to. Feed oh, them. you know what this movie needs at the end? It needs Mister Crazy Hair Guy to go. Did ancient aliens put the monkey on the other side of the wall? The answer to that is yes. <laughs> well, you'd think after all that time, the villagers would have got smart and maybe poisoned one of the sacrifices. Be like, maybe yeah, he'll yeah. take the bait. Maybe we can live Kong free. I have a theory that I think I think they I think they didn't hate Kong. I think he was like their god, right. so they had no problem feeding him a virgin every once in a while. And I think they would have been. I think they would have fought the people. You know, it would have been one of those things like where you have a family. And the family are all beaten up on each other, but when the cops come, they all turn on the cops. And that's what I would sort of picture with with them. With with they would be like, "You can't take our god away from us," you know? Right. Again, you know, I I'm trying really hard to stay away from the '76 movie, but I tell you, one of my absolute favorite lines of that entire movie is when they're all on the ship, and. Uh, Somebody says something about, you know, you know, you go back and ask those natives how sad they're going to be to be rid of Kong now. And it's Jeff Bridges in a nice, quiet moment says, you're absolutely you're dead wrong. He goes, you go back to that island a year from now, it'll be an island of burned out drug, you know, drug addicts and, and drunks. He goes, you took away the mystery in their lives. You took their God. And I love that moment of that movie because he's absolutely right that that was the mystery in their lives. Their God lived right on the other side of their wall. Yeah. And I think that was an important element. And here's the thing about here's here's the thing about their God. They could go stand up on the I don't know how often they presented a virgin sacrifice. Obviously, pretty often if if um, if they just showed up randomly and it's like. Boom, boom, boom! Listen, there's sacrifice drums going. You know, <laughs> maybe it was every week. The, I don't know how all fast, the kids come running. How fast the natives <laughs> reproduce or whatever, but you know, it, but um, Billy, did you feed Kong today? Jeez, oh, mom, I did yesterday. 
Jesus! Get off your ass, turn off that Xbox, put out the trash, and feed Kong! As soon as I'm 18, I swear to God I'm moving out of here. I swear to Kong I am moving out of here. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you actually would have a god that you could go when it was dinner time. You could go sit up on the top of the fence and watch your god come over and chow down on the virgin you know oh hey it's, god how you doing yeah it's not it's not like you put him out in the desert and you come and you come back and go well yeah god ate him and or whatever you know no god god comes stomping out and takes down a bunch of takes out all that shrub bush that you were planning on cutting down anyway thanks god and uh, and eats her right in front of you there's there's nobody there's there's no king kong atheists on Skull Island, you know what I'm saying right now? There's nobody going. There's no native sitting there going, "You, you idiots! Oh, they might <laughs> you really believe that shit?" Totally going on Twitter. Yeah, but there's that one asshole. You know what you're gonna do? You're gonna feed him to Kong. That's what I would do. I consider myself an atheist, but if I was on Kong Island and Kong was God, I would be a 100% faithful believer in King Kong because I would go, there he is. I I saw him eat my cousin just last week. You tell me. You tell me God doesn't exist, you know? Ten bucks says that when the aliens built that wall, though, and, and, and sometime in the intervening millennia, it must have just fallen off. But there used to be a sign that said, "Please do not feed the monkey." Uh, you see, I have another. Uh, no, I say the one right next to it says, "This door to remain closed at all times." At all times. We, 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 alarm will sound. Sound gong in Monkeys case only, of... please. Yes. <laughs> I have a theory about Skull Island that everything is so different and evolved there because it's just like the most advanced evolution and survival of the fittest ever, ever that it's just everything is eating and killing each other so fast that they're evolving at a, at a steady exponential rate. Yeah. Super rate. <laughs> Luke, this, uh, this poster image that you, you sent us in yeah. the chat here, did, is this actually in that movie? Oh No. Oh no! Oh, that's a shame. The uh, okay, the story behind this, real quick. The poster that that Scott is referring to is the American one sheet for Godzilla versus Megalon. Now, Godzilla versus Megalon was made in 1973, but wasn't released over here in the states until 1976. So, the poster to cash in on the the famous Kong 76 poster features Godzilla and Megalon standing atop the World Trade Center fighting. Well, Godzilla's on one and Megalon is on the other, which I think is absolutely awesome. <laughs> but this doesn't well, happen in the movie? No. Not even close. They don't even... How did they get away with that? Do they, even, do they even make it to America at all? I don't think they do, do they? Yes, they do not even fight in a city, let alone in America. <laughs> now, here's the other... Here's the stupid thing to me. Of all that, Megalon is a beetle. He can fly. Okay, so theoretically, he could have flied and landed on top of it. How the hell is Godzilla going to get up there without that building falling over? They airlifted I mean, him up oh, there. He's yeah, yeah. go from hand grip to hand grip. Godzilla's a big lizard. He's going to knock the shit down. <laughs> anyway. That, that movie, when that mo I remember the ad campaign when I was a little kid, and it made my head explode, and I was just like to my parents, you have to take me to see Godzilla versus Megalon, and 
and the thing about Carthage, New York, or Watertown, New York, where the movie theater was, is there was no way in hell Godzilla versus Megalon was making <laughs> it to there. And they're just like, I don't think you're going to get to see this movie, Chris. And I'm like, and, you know, my cousins who are like, I had some cousins in Rochester and some in New York City, and they'd be like, we're going to see Godzilla versus Megalon. It looks, and I'm like, oh, oh God, no. And then when, you know, when I finally did get to see it on TV, I was just like, oh, wow, what a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> Now, did you see it with John Belushi wearing the Godzilla suit on NBC? I don't think I've ever seen that. Okay, then let's just leave it at that. <laughs> John, every time I hear John Belushi, I think of the Spider-Man Marvel team-up with Mar with him and Saturday Night Live where, with John B. Belushi. That's oh, right. no. Yeah, but he played the Hulk on Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. I also want to put on one of my absolute favorite, favorite lines, and a line my brother and I used to yell at each other uh, in high school for no discernible reason, is when they're in the theater, Denim, uh, you know, calms the crowd by saying, those chains are made of chrome steel. <laughs> now, now, where I come from, chrome steel means it's just really, really shiny, right? Yes, <laughs> and I guess from where he comes from, it means that too, because King Kong doesn't really take much yes. to get through it. What? Like, look at that chrome steel. Doesn't it look good on his wrist, boys, as he's tearing down the theater? <laughs> what? Fantastic. Don't worry, it can't. a movie where I like to yell at the screen and go, Look out, he's gone apeshit! <laughs> Don't worry, it's perfectly safe unless he gets one hand free. And then it's all over, you know. <laughs> then King Kong just simply removes everything else with his other hands. <laughs> hey, remember those gas bombs we used to subdue it? Fuck it, we don't need them anymore. No, let's not let's not bring those with us everywhere. Let's not have <laughs> let's not have one remote controlled hanging around his neck. That that, that would be a bad idea. In, that would have knocked out that entire theater. Yeah, but guess what? Ain't about sitting too close. They would have been happier than being. They would have rather been gassed than chewed on. I'm sure. <laughs> and, I, and I and I do I do love the one flapper girl. It's like, what is this thing anyway? I hear it's a kind of a gorilla. Don't we got enough of those in New York? <laughs> when you, when you hate, As a New Yorker, that line is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> when you hate your last thought to be like, man, monkey breath is terrible, you know? Oh. There's like birds stuck between his teeth and stuff. And bananas. There's course. a lot of good red shirt deaths in this movie. I love my no, favorite. My worst last thought would be, man, monkey teeth are sharp. That would be worse. <laughs> No, the worst. We all know the worst. Last thought is, man, did I leave the iron on? <laughs> my, and my, now I'll never. Ah, you know. <laughs> I I have a thing about when when animals kill people. I I almost always side with the animals. I would love to see you know when animals attack. I'd like to see a more one called get 'em, where it's <laughs> just like you know. My favorite is a people. The, it was a Russian show, and these people come out with like a dancing bear with a muzzle on. And there's this little old lady sitting there, and you see mm. the bear is just like this totally docile bear, but he sees that lady, and he just fucking hates her. <laughs> Nobody, you know, it's just like that. Sometimes I have that reaction with people, very rarely, but every once in a while I see somebody and you go, I want to punch them in the face. And that's what this bear sees this lady. He goes, I don't like the way she smells. And he just walks up and goes, prong! <laughs> and grabs onto her and I'm watching and when I watched that I went yeah get him and like the, the one of the the Japanese kid who sits down with his backpack against the panda cage and the oh. panda just sort of 
wanders up with him. I get that feeling in the King Kong movies with some of the people. Sometimes I feel bad for the I felt felt bad for the guys who turned into ragdolls and fell into the crevasse and and all that. You like my fancy pronunciation of crevice? Crevasse. I'd rather hear crevasse because crevice just makes me think of the crack in my ass. I'm sorry. Let's not think about the crack in Scott Gardner's ass for a minute. Um, (laughs) I can't. You know, any any time, whether it's a giant monster movie or whether it's like National Geographic and somebody gets eaten by a shark or anything like that, but whenever I see somebody like eaten by something in a movie, I always think the same thing, which is. You know, anybody that ever told that poor person at some point in the course of their lives that they'd never amount to shit, they're either going to feel really (laughs) bad or laugh their asses off when they hear about this. (laughs) They are going to be be an amount of shit pretty soon. But uh, my my favorite get a moment of, like, this person deserves to die is the, 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 the straggler guy with the brontosaurus. Who thinks, yeah, go climb. He thinks yeah. it's a good idea to climb a tree to the point of head level of the brontosaurus. <laughs> I'm going to climb up this tree right up to where the brontosaurus is. And then when the brontosaurus attacks, I'm going to just sort of like swat at him with my hands. What I like, get though, away, is get away. the first swat he takes at it with the hand, the brontosaurus like backs up. and then, But it doesn't back up after that. It yeah. realizes, oh, okay, whatever. Dude. The Bronco is like, are you serious, bro? <laughs> yeah, you startled me the first time there, dude. But it ain't gonna happen again. And yeah, that that was. I did not feel bad for that guy. I was just like, you obviously want to be eaten really bad, or you you are <laughs> really dumb. And yes, you've reacted very poorly in this situation. <laughs> and when you're up in the tree and it's attacking you, I, my first reaction would be jump down out of the tree and run. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna just stay in this tree and fight this out. How is that scenario going to come out to your advantage ever? And I guess you don't really think about that because you don't often find yourself fighting off a giant reptile. <laughs> oh, more often than you would think. Yeah. Mm. Well, you're in, you're in Florida, yeah. <laughs> Always comes down to Florida jokes. So, uh, anyone have any? We want to do some closing thoughts here, or? Got any other major plot points you want to talk about? All I know is I'm primed and ready for the rest of Monkey Month here. Yep. Monkey. Kong Month. Kong Month. <laughs> I, I am, I'm very much excited to hear the uh, King Kong rest of King Kong Month as well. Um, especially, I, I got to say, just a little preview here of the of this, the 76 uh, episode you guys are going to do. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that and hearing your guys' take on that. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it at that. Here's the thing: I was a little worried about Monkey Month. About like, oh, are we we're gonna Kong be t- Month? <laughs> I just like saying Monkey, but you know, you know what I mean. It's it. Yeah, I know Monkey Month would be. There's no way we could bite off a real Monkey Month because there's so many monkey movies. Oh yeah, mighty, mighty Peking Man. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm one of my. F- favorites as a matter of fact i edited a two-hour movie together called monkey movie that was mostly mighty king man and and um ape and and return of kong and ape it was it was like a lot of the scenes from that and i cut them into some sort of weird storyline and i would use it for a backdrop for my band and i called it monkey movie and it was one (laughs) of the most entertaining things you'll ever see because i just took out all the people i was like oh is that a person (laughs) in that scene is he getting killed out you're gone Out. you're gone <laughs> um but 
I was kind of worried about it because I'm like, ah, we're going to be talking about the same movie over and over again, you know, the same story over and over again. But now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, the, the 76 Kong is going to be a lot of fun because of Scott's enthusiasm for it. I'm not a hater of the movie. I have ups and downs with it. I haven't watched it in a long time, so I'm looking forward to seeing it again. And I'm a fan of Jeff Bridges, so I like, and he's really good in that movie. But um, if you took Jeff Bridges out of that movie, I probably wouldn't be near as enthusiastic about it. But he really is. Uh, he's a good actor. I mean, he's very sincere in yeah. that movie. And it's one of his better. I think it's one of his better roles because I think it's very close to Jeff Bridges. You know what I mean? To, to how he really is as a as a person, or at least at that time. You know, it plays very much into that. You know, what, what well, would eventually evolve into the dude, you know? He was he was the everyman sort of. He was like a more laid back like version of like Paul Newman or something, you know? Right. A less right. like less like super dramatic roles, but more the the laid back roles. But then and I was a little worried about the Peter Jackson one because, I, you know, I like the Peter Jackson one. But then I started thinking about it and there's a lot to talk about with that movie. And by the time we get to that movie. We'll have all the other movies under our belts to compare and contrast, and see the so one that I've one's got to be really interesting. I think the one I've got to watch for that one is the is the ex, you know the full version. The, the that's full what extension. I'm going to watch. I've too. never seen it, so I'm I'm curious. I like it, but uh, yeah, I, I'm curious. I'm I'm trying to reserve judgment, but uh, I, I I rushed out and watched you know saw that movie when it when it debuted in theaters and was colossally disappointed. So I, I you know, I'm curious to see it you know a, a second time. In in the in a similar vein, I do want to ask you guys which version of Kong seventy six are you watching the the theatrical one or or there is an extended version of that from when it aired on network television if I'm remembering correctly. I need to get my hands on that. The the version I've got is is just it's the DVD, so I'm not sure which version that is. I don't. I, I suspect it's probably the the theatrical version. Yeah, does the yeah the the theatrical cut? I'm looking at my notes here. Is is 134 minutes, and then I want to say that there's about maybe 20 minutes or so that was added when it it, it first aired on NBC. I now that was before my time, so I'm not 100 percent sure about that. So. No, but, I, I know that there is extra stuff because almost all of those movies, when they came to TV back during that time, they would be broken up into two airings and they would throw in, you know, basically everything, but, you know, and the kitchen sink, you know, anything that was filmed, you know, if it was usable and sometimes even stuff that wasn't really usable <laughs> as evidenced in Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, you know, my God. Yes. Throw in there where the scene's not even complete. I love but, that bit. I love that. I do. Yeah, I do, too. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I off the top of my head, I can't remember what the what the cut footage was from uh, from Kong seventy six. No, I know there's like some extend extended bit with the snake fight and and you know things of that nature. Is, is a right. few, I don't I don't know there was any new new scenes, but I think there was some extended scenes and some right. minor stuff. But but that that's now, good. Is I that's the one I have on DVD, so that'll work out. <laughs> and we've got an episode in between. This one and Kong seventy six, but just as kind of a, a of a preface to Kong seventy six, I'm just very curious. You know, as, as a Kong fan, what what is your your hang up with the seventy six one? Well, again, it goes back to what I was um, to what I was saying earlier. Is that my, my father is such a huge fan of uh, the Cooper Kong that I've I've literally watched it over and over as a kid, and and I was that was King Kong to me. 
So when I finally did see 76, and I'm sure I saw it on television, probably. No, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, not as like off of HBO or anything, but probably on network TV was, you know, the the um, the ape stuff I thought was good. Hell, even like the snake fight and stuff I, I like. But to me, the movie is is. I don't know. I think it's I think it's wrongheaded. I think it doesn't understand the the story of of King Kong. I think it's it's so over the top with some of the human characters. Um, uh, Charles Grodin's character, for instance, just every time I see him, it's it's like, yeah, we get it, we get it. You know, it's like, of course, the uh, the executive of an oil company in 1976 is going to be a this sleazy, uh, oily jerk ass but it's like it's so it it it's borderline self parody um to me and and so what what i get is that you know the effects and the the special shots in the film i really like i think a lot uh, you know a lot of them playing around on the world trade center is really well done i think you know rick baker stomping through the streets of manhattan is is fantastic but anytime the people are talking it just it my my I just this ire raises in my in my throat and I just get get mad and and then of course the bit with Jeff Bridges cheering when the army helicopters get destroyed pisses me off to no end and and you want to talk I mean that that is the, the most seventies thing ever I think uh, and and it just drives me insane and it just sticks in my craw so like I said a lot of it has to do with and it's like all films you know um, it's. You, you either dig it or you don't. And in, in this case, there's elements of that that just rub me the absolute wrong way. So, Okay. And, well, I'm going to do, do my best to, to offer up a real defense for that movie because and, I, and, I and, love it. And that is why, that's why I said I'm very eager to hear that because I would very much like to hear a defense of that film. You know, that um, there's one King Kong fan site. Kong is, not KongisKing.net. There's another one out there that is just an abs. I'll see if I can find it real quick. That is an absolute treasure trove of um, uh, of, of information and production drawings and interviews and screen caps and everything for the '76 Kong. And that guy does a lot to you know to to talk about and defend the uh, the '76 Kong as opposed to original and the the Jackson Kong. And uh, I'll I'll put that on the forum because I'm not I'm not seeing it here real um, on my bookmarks at the moment, and and it's kind of the same thing you know I think a lot of it is how you were exposed to it, how old you were when it came out you know what your uh, opinion is of the original so I'm I'm like I said, I'm very much interested in hearing that, and by the same token I hope that folks will like listening to the the Earth Destruction Directive episode because a lot of people haven't seen the Japanese Kongs and no there are no comparison between. Yeah, Kongs right. and the American Kongs, and there's not supposed to be. Kong has fur in both of them. Well, there there is that aspect, <laughs> but uh, only but only the '76 one and '05, not not '33. But you know that film, King Kong Escapes, is often derided in this country for oh my god, it's so stupid, it's so ridiculous. But it's like, you know, if you're looking at it from the not to sound like Ben Kenobi from a certain point of view, it's. You know, I I find the film to be just just manically entertaining, so I'm I'm hoping that maybe some folks who hadn't seen that will get exposed to that, and and you know, we can cross pollinate the love for Kong here. <laughs> that sounds of view. somehow inappropriate. Yeah, I like it. From a certain point of view, Ben, what the hell? <laughs> you lie, you old bastard. 
<laughs> yeah, you can get away with anything with it's that old certain point of view philosophy. I always like that about being a Jedi. <laughs> now we've got a Star Trek and a Star Wars connection here. Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. Star Trek always had the King Kong connection with the Mogatu. Yeah. Well, how about even you go even further? The review of the Man Trap in TV Guide in the 60s said, <laughs> William Shatner is the male version of Fay Ray with his yes. screaming. Yes. So. <laughs> That's right. He does let out a girly scream in that, but who wouldn't? Well, who wouldn't if that if that lady turned into that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I wish we had. I wish we had a full month of of monkey movies because one day Scott and I'll get to it. But I, I, I would. I would love to do all the monkeys justice and, and even do one that, that Luke, I'm sure you would be interested in this one too. One day I would like to do war of the gargantuas. Oh, I'm yes. doing war of the gargantuas on my show. Are you? Oh yeah. That, you know, that's, that's a... one of Scott's in my favorites. Well then maybe we like... can do it. Maybe we can do a guest spot because, um, just again, real quick war of the gargantuas, actually the sequel to Frankenstein conquers the world and was produced by Toho and Sanda and Gyra are part of the Toho pantheon of monsters. I think I've got a nice Devo version of the words get stuck in my throat somewhere. <laughs> the words get stuck in my throat. The words get stuck in my throat. I, that's a Gyra, great song. Gyra made a, had a cameo a couple of years ago, for crying out loud. You see, that's the one thing that King Kong couldn't do is eat a whole human and then spit out their clothes perfectly pressed. <laughs> Those are some great, great monkeys, man. <laughs> Great monkey. I just Great can't stay mad. I just can't stay mad at that monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so stay tuned. There's going to be plenty of King Kong madness, and go to the forums, and we can all share our King Kong experiences. Yeah. <laughs> More inappropriate. Yeah, or inappropriate innuendos. <laughs> I'm surprised we got through this whole thing without anybody saying King Dong. To be honest. Oh! Oh, well, you know, I haven't faded out yet, so we have. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we have reached that milestone. Mission there. accomplished. <laughs> and scene. Yes, mission accomplished. <laughs> You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this, all proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, 
Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. Libson is spelled L I B S Y N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards. Let's talk about monkeys. All right, good old school, incredibly old school. I might even, yes. I might even have to come into this one monkey style. <laughs> you mean you're gonna be masturbating? Playing poop at our, at our yeah, ooh, 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 masturbating monkey. <laughs> Gagging on a banana. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh. Sounds about right. <laughs> All right.